0: Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you
1: September.
0: Are you ready? Are you ready for, ready for September?
1: September, September.
0: 'Cause it's coming it's 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 coming.
2: Here he comes. Dry your bow. Dry your bow.
0: Smoked him, man. Welcome to the next installment of the School of September series, brought to you by the Western Huntsman Podcast in conjunction and partnership. With Phelps Game Calls and Spree Extreme Mountain Gear, Elk Hunting 201. Here we go, here we go, guys. It's September first 2020 this crazy year of 2020 we finally made it to September September elk season I know for many of you uh, I've been watching from way up here in the North Country of Idaho uh, these these hunts opening up all over uh, down south you, you know you guys are already I don't know why they they wait till September 6 for our season up here for for elk to open up but uh, they do and so uh, we're still a few days out up here I'm gearing up I'm ready to go uh, watching some Some of you guys are already out there in the field. Some of you guys already have uh, notches in your tags. And, uh, guys, here it is. It's September. I'm super excited, super pumped. Thank you for Joining us here at the Western Huntsman Podcast for the School of September. I got a great episode today with Jason Phelps of Phelps Game Calls. Uh, I'm sure you know who Jason is. And so uh, we're going to get to that here in just a minute. Uh, just a last minute, like kind of last call warning if you're listening to this today, September 1, for the Youth Hunters. Out there, this is your last opportunity to get me those essays for the competition. It ends at midnight tonight. If you're listening to this after September one, we have already surpassed the deadline, and we will be printing all those essays off and going through them and figuring out who our winners were are. And uh, hopefully, we'll have uh, an announcement of the winner by next week. So uh, that's that's where we're at with that youth hunters, 10 to 17. Tell me why you want to hunt, uh, and, and or what kind of hunter you want to be and what kind of example you want to set for the youth hunters that are coming up behind you. Uh, don't care about the length. Don't care about anything else. Just write me that essay, and uh, good luck to you guys. I'm, I'm uh, really liking what I'm seeing so far. So we've gotten, we've gotten several entries so far, and a lot of them are really good. We've got some really good prizes, um, and you're going to find out about those next week. So, guys, all right. I hope you're ready. I hope you're ready. This is the final installment of the School of September. And we have gone through um, with with all of some some wor- some of the best elk hunters in the world have been on this show for the School of September. Take a look at it. We've got, we we've had the Elk Nut. We've had Dirk Durham, the Bugler. We've had uh, the Michael Batiste with the Elk Calling Academy. We've had Corey Jacobson with Elk 101. We've had Chris Rowe of Rowe Hunting Resources. We've had Joe Gillia of uh, elk bros and and this is the final episode with phelps game calls jason phelps a guy who's uh, just an absolute killer of elk and and a, a serial killer at that and I, i'm really excited for you guys to hear this conversation we had some sad news kind of come out of oregon that i wanted to address real quick as as we roll into this because uh, i have a couple of things for you before we get into the interview with jason so an oregon hunter he goes in, and Saturday, this last Saturday, he he wounds a bull elk. There's not a lot of information out there just yet on this. It's it's still pretty fresh. I mean, uh, we're talking a couple of days ago here, and so the articles are pretty vague, and and the news stories are pretty vague about it. But uh, this guy, he's 66 years old. He goes out there and wounds a bull with his bow. Uh, goes in, uh, you know, it gets dark. They can't locate it, so they go in the next morning, and and uh, he's on some private property. Uh, the landowner goes in with him to try to help locate this wounded bull finds the bull and tries to dispatch the bull uh, one more time and that bull charged him uh, came came at him and kind of gorged him in the neck with his antlers uh, and unfortunately the guy did not make it he did not survive the attack uh, they they did locate the bull and dispatched it um, there's there's not a lot of information so it's it's kind of a reminder I think you know it's not like this hasn't happened in the past there's been other circumstances where um mainly with like deer whitetail deer have, have have gorged somebody uh or or trampled somebody uh, you know the one thing that I'll, I'll say about this is um it's big news obviously it's it's a shock to the hunting community it's it's big news because this is not Normal. It's not, you know, this was so circumstantial and so uh, profound uh, in how that happened. And and man, my heart just goes out to to this guy's family. And I don't want to say his name on the on the podcast, but it's out there in all the all the articles that uh, you know they've released his name and all that. So, uh guys, the the one thing that I I would hope that everybody learns from this and and kind of use it as a as a tool or a takeaway uh to, to make sure this never happens again to anybody out there i i i'm just like you know it breaks my heart to hear this story and um th- this is one of our peeps he was out there doing what he loves and and he was he was killed these are wild animals we're dealing with whether it's a deer or a, or a damn squirrel th- these are these are wild animals uh, when you when you do get well, let, let me let me rephrase that when you get an elk down, or a deer, or a bear, uh, or any other game animal, and I've seen this on videos, like people will post their videos on YouTube, they 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 locate the bull, right, and it's laying there, and um, the assumption is it's dead, uh, it's gone, and they go running up to it and grab the antlers, or they go running up to that to to the elk and they they put their hand on it. Okay, so you, that's super dangerous. You you really do need to make sure that that elk is dead and 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 he really has been uh you know he's passed away or, or whatever um there's a couple ways to do that i always approach the animal from the back and uh that if you listen to uh i can't remember what episode it was it was with greg landis up in up in alaska and we're talking about bear hunting and he kind of uses the same approach to bears uh or with bears you kind of approach from the rear because they have to fully turn around and you have time to react uh, don't don't come at it from the front try to you know get close and make a little noise and make sure it's not moving uh, look for the tongue hanging out if the tongue is hanging out most likely it is dead that is not a 100% guarantee but most likely it is dead a uh, couple stories um, I know a guy who well when I was a kid one of the neighbors went went deer hunting and uh it was a mule deer and he got this mule deer down it was only like a you know it's like a three or four point mule deer not a very old mule deer and it was laying there and he approached the deer went walking up to it and um you know kind of set his rifle down and all, all of a sudden the deer jumps up and rushes at him and basically launches him into the air the antlers did not penetrate his body but they definitely bruised the the uh they, they really bruised him up and and hurt him and and then landed all weird on this log and uh he was injured for sure not nothing permanent, no major damage or anything like that, but it scared the hell out of him and that deer they never did find him um another another instance where uh, this guy that, that I, 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 used to know him really well. Uh, and I, I know that he's not full of it. You know, you hear some of these stories that are like kind of far-fetched and it's like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know if that's true. You're, you're uh, telling me a whopper or whatever, but this, this dude didn't do that. He, he wasn't that kind of guy. Uh, he, he's a, he was a shoot. He's a trader. I I say was just cause I'm really not in contact with him anymore. I kind of wish I was, but anyway, he goes out, gets a deer down again. It's a mule deer. And due to the where it was at, he he kind of just figured he was gonna load it in the truck and then take it back to camp and gut it. I, I don't quite understand that thinking. Uh, not something I would do, but um, and I don't recommend that. But you know, it, for some reason it made sense to him. And this is a pretty seasoned hunter, so for there was a method to his madness. Uh, and I just I just don't know what that was. Anyways he he's able to get his pickup this is back back uh, years ago and uh he was able to get his pickup kind of up to the area where he got this deer loaded it in the back of his truck and starts going down the dirt road the damn thing jumps up and hops out of the side of his truck rolls a little bit and jumps up and runs off never to be seen again so i and i tell you these to highlight the the you know especially when we're dealing with like a 700 pound elk man you you really have to verify these things can be super dangerous and obviously we saw that in Oregon this last weekend and and they're super dangerous animals especially when they're wounded especially when they're cornered they're scared they're uh you, you know they're they're desperate so they will do whatever it's their last full measure right they, they you're the threat it's their last full measure their last option is to come at you and they're gonna win they're they're 700 pounds. And so it doesn't have to even be a bull. Uh, a, a cow elk can do a lot of damage to you. Uh, so can a doe. Um, I've I've seen doe uh, get up on their hind legs and just start. Have you ever seen them? Like have you ever sat in a in a ground blind and watched two does come in and they're 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 not super friendly with each other and all of a sudden they kind of they get up on their hind legs and start just throwing their hoes at each other. It's pretty nasty. They can mess you up. And so the point being is. Just be careful, guys. Make sure that animal is dead. I've 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 done the whole, you know, I grab a stick and I'll kind of poke at it and and make sure I verify the tongues out. Uh, I make sure like the eyes are open. Um, a lot of times the the elk or, or or whatever wild game species it is, if they're still alive, they're, they'll close their eyes. Uh, that's just my experience i'm sure other people have experienced other things where they've come up and the the elk was dead and the eyes were closed so i I get that i'm just telling you from my experience from what i've seen if it's laying there with a blank stare in the eyes it's it's dead if the tongue's out it's it's usually dead um if the eyes are closed you need to be advised uh uh, because i have walked up on a deer eyes were closed and he was still alive he wasn't able to get up i had to dispatch him uh... as he laid there so uh... there they could just come at you that they're super fast they're um, uh, unpredictable they could be very aggressive and and i just i'm i'm hoping and praying that you guys are safe out there this year and just keeping that in mind as we as we roll into september because i don't want to be a downer man this is i'm i'm really excited about this episode and 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 the timing we're in you know i'm 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 about to leave i'm starting with a two-day hunt and i'll be back for a day or so and then i'll be leaving for 10 days and uh, just got a lot going on here, and so I'm really pumped. And uh, we have got uh, a couple of new cameras I'm, I'm going to be running this year. Try to get as much film as I can. So, and I wanted to also tell you guys, if you guys do tag out, man, uh, send me pictures of it if you want, and I'll share that stuff on our Facebook page and our Instagram. Uh, just send them to Jim at theWesternHuntsman.com and uh, shoot them over to me, and I'll, I'll put them out there and make sure your name's on there somewhere so I can give you credit and all that kind of stuff. I, I, it's fun to fun to share all that stuff. And uh guys just again going back one last time I can't reiterate this enough. be safe, be freaking safe out there. Uh, don't don't get so excited you just run up on your elk while he's laying there because that sucker could still be alive and if if you do need to dispatch him again make sure you're just really keyed in watching being overly cautious get another arrow in that elk uh or deer and and make sure that he is dispatched before you you get up too close so that's that i just kind of want to leave that in the in, in, where it's at um again my my heart goes out to the family of, uh, of this guy that was killed by by this elk this last weekend in Oregon. And uh, I, they're going through a tough time. And, and I just want them to know that uh, at the Western Huntsman, we're, we're, we're thinking of them. We're praying for them. Um, we're here for them. Um, all that kind of stuff, guys. So let's leave that there. Guys, I have, okay, for today as we go into this episode, I have a special guest that he we got on the phone and and talked for about 9 minutes and he's given us kind of like a a motivational pep talk kind of thing and he's a he's a former guest on the Western Huntsman Mike Barnes he's down in Colorado and uh I want to play that right now for you and and uh I'll let you hear from him so just so you guys know he used to basically be in charge of uh like all, all the fitness stuff uh, you know I'm terrible at explaining that kind of stuff He essentially was part of the San Francisco 49ers uh, and and traveled with the team and and helped with the the, the fitness aspect of of these these professional athletes. And so he's got a lot of credibility on this this, topic. And so he's going to give us a little motivational talk. It's like nine minutes, and uh, let's let that play right now. Here we go with Michael Barnes. Okay, guys, I got a special treat for you for the final, the grand finale of the whole School of September series that we've been doing since uh, we kicked it off in April. And as we get this one rolling, um, if you remember back in, gosh, when was that, Mike? Was that was that April, was, May? I think it was,
2: actually, I think it was February or something. We were talking about, um, obviously talking about the fitness stuff.
0: Yeah, maybe so, it was that long ago. Maybe it was yeah, that long ago, yeah. but it was a while ago. We had... My friend Dan in Colorado, Mike Barnes, Michael Barnes uh, of MB Fitness, and we, we talked all sorts of stuff from nutrition to fitness and everything else, and he promised he'd come back on to give us a pumped-up motivational speech right before season because we all know things are going to get tough out there, and Michael, I appreciate you coming on for this, man.
2: Well, thanks, Jim. Again, thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure.
0: And uh, and I know if you're looking forward to elk season like I am, um, we we need some stuff in our mind to keep us trucking along uh, during those hard times. Uh, there's going to be a lot of miles this, this year, uh, a lot of a lot of uh, steep country for for all us western hunters. What can you tell us to to keep us pumped?
2: You know, I think it kind of comes down to two, a couple different things and to have kind of a clear vision of what you want to get out of the experience is absolutely key. So we were just talking just uh, you and I, Jim, before we got on air here and, you know, we, we both agreed that it's kind of nice to help out other hunters if you can, you know, and if you have an advantage um, or, you know, an area or you want to get someone into hunting or someone with a disability or a friend or family, it really doesn't matter. You kind of want to show them, um, you know, how you like to hunt and what they kind of want to get out of it. So some people are like, look, I just want to go hunt for a couple of days. I want to get out. I want to hear some Googles. If I get a, you know, if I get a chance at one great. And other guys are like, I'm all in, I've been training a long time. I've been studying, I've been listening to your podcast as well. And in, in your, uh, you know, your elk series was great. Um, you, you kind of got to sort that out at first, you know, so, you know, are you level one, two, or are you level nine, 10? So
1: mm-hmm.
2: it kind of depends how you, how you want to meet that experience to tell you the truth. Um, you know, I mean, to me, I, we were talking about solo hunting. I love solo hunting. I love the, the time alone. Yeah, I love I the challenge. I hunt slow compared to a lot of other guys that, you know, kind of want to run around and bugle and track stuff down. That's not me. Um, So a lot of times it's like I'm going to pace myself through the day. And if I got a chance to kind of recover, I know my quads after a day or two are going to be kind of depleted. um, That's fine. So, yeah, I mean, so the first thing would be to kind of identify what you want to get out of the experience. So, I mean, Jim, and if you want to, we can just kind of go back and forth. Tell me what you want to get out of your experience. You know, is it always trying to put something down or I want to have a lot of cool interactions or
0: um, you know I am a uh, i i i've used the phrase in the past I'm a holistic hunter man i want to enjoy the outdoors i want to enjoy the scenery i want to enjoy the animals the sounds the smells the getting up yeah. early the sunrises the sunsets and man I want to tag an elk out when it comes time I want an elk just yeah. I, I, whether that thing comes in screaming or or he comes in silent. Uh, My goal is to have a notch tag at the end of the season, but I want to enjoy it along the way.
2: Well, yeah. So, and if you got a 10 day hunt and I know you got one coming up, it's okay. So if you see, you know, a, a 350 inch bull and he's 10 yards away and, you got a perfect shot on, you know, early morning day one, that might not be what you're really looking for. If you got nine <laughs> more days to go, right? Now, wait so, a minute. If
0: he's 350, that sucker's going down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: I put him down too. I'm walk around with no bow in my hand for the next nine and a half days. I do the same thing. Um, you know, so you kind of, I like that holistic approach. That's, that's kind of me too. And ultimately I'm out to kind of, you know, I want to put a bull down for sure. So, um, you know, like it's a marathon, right? So if you mm-hmm. want to go for ten days, or else you know you'll be a better part of the week. Kind of pace yourself. So, you know, you're not going to blast through three basins in the first day, and you know, climb six, seven, eight thousand feet vertical. Okay, well, look, I I want to hit some areas. I want to be very detailed. I want to kind of pace myself through it, and then, you know, probably get some some locations or some maybe some uh, herds identified, and then you can kind of you know close the distance ever a certain amount of time. So just Kind of keep that in mind, you know, and I think a lot of times when you get so spun up in the moment, you kind of lose focus on what you're there to do and, and how to enjoy yourself. And, you know, if you need to take some time out because of rain or you need to rehydrate, just be able to adjust on the fly as well. Yeah. That's, that's absolutely key. Um, w- w- one of the things, too, and I'm just going to add to that a little bit more is, is just, you know, and if you're if, if you've been working on it and you have what's called a growth or a, a open mindset about it, you'll just have so much more fun as opposed to, I'm really not good at calling. So I'm just going to go spot and stalk or I'm going to, you know, set up a tree stand or something like that um, because I'm not good at it. So, you know, hunters get better over the course of time. You know, a lot of guys talk about experience and, you know, once they kind of get into it, um, it's like, man, I just, they they put something down every year because they put the time and effort and they've learned from their past experiences. And that just comes with time and learning in the off season and being prepared.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I love it, man. Do you have any, um, I, I know we're getting short on time here, but do, do you have any like thoughts or, or words of motivation or wisdom for let's say somebody's been out? They've been in the field for a week. They've got three or four more days. They're tired. They're yeah. wore out. Yeah. They've got blisters on their feet. Their back hurts. They're they're yep. tired. You know, they, they didn't get enough sleep. <laughs> How does this guy, yeah, you know, get it done yep.
2: still? Yep. And and it, and that's kind of a matter of focus. So there's a sports scientist um, that's University of Missouri a number of years ago, real sharp guy. And he is, you know, he's, he's an applied sports scientist type guy. And I like what he uses about focus and it comes down to five things and being those five functions of focus are being in the present. Um, Just knowing where you are, what you're there to do, have a clear vision. Um, I'm right here right now. If it's, you know, if you're going to get out early if you get out of the middle of the day or whatever it is, and you're feeling like you're kind of dragging your rear end, Okay, that's, that's where we are. I need to be in the present. Um, and to have those strong, positive thoughts, that's number two. So, okay, look, I'm going to focus on the good things. How are you feeling? I'm going to tell myself, I only got a little bit farther. I'm in great shape. I can get to the top of this, you know, ridge or whatever it is. And I'm going to hit the next basin. I'm going to pace myself up. I can do this. Um, number three, maintain composure. Having the right mental attitude, you know, not being too excited or, or not being, eh, I'm just going to kind of slowly – lethargically make something happen. So there's an ideal point mentally on this U-shaped curve, not over and not under. So keep that in mind. Concentration is number four, finding the information that matters. And to me, when it comes down to that, you really want to execute a good shot. Um, you know, so maybe there's some trees in the way, maybe the animal's starting to move, he's quartering away, he's quartering two. uh Just, you know, finding finding the information that matters, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, putting those pins where you want to put them on waiting till it crosses the right area. And also obviously if you're a bow hunter, like we are, you have to, you just have to uh, use great technique when you shoot these bows, because as you know, if you're out 40, 50 yards, that arrow could be sailing someplace you don't want it to go. And then lastly, and lastly, you know, kind of when you're, you're hitting that bottom, it's like running a marathon at some point during that marathon, you're going to feel like absolute crap. And you're going to say to yourself, why do I do this? This is uncomfortable. We're in for a marathon of a season, you know, and that's, that's, that's what you want to experience. That's what I want to experience is to have confidence in yourself that the best will come out when it matters. I can't
0: execute. I will execute. Oh, I like that, man. I can execute. I will execute. All right, yep. guys. As you as you go into the Elkwoods this year, guys, keep that in your mind. I can execute, and I will execute. That's I knew I was going to get something like that from you, Mike. That's that's fantastic <laughs> Thanks, stuff, man. And I, I I just uh, I sure wish we lived closer, man. We'd go we'd go share a hunt together. And and uh, I, sh- I I'm wishing you the best season this year.
2: You too, buddy. Put one down for me, would you?
0: Yeah, you bet. I'll try. Uh, y- good luck and and uh, and take care, man. Let's touch base after season.
2: Right on. I'll be I'll be tuning in, buddy. Thanks. Take care.
0: Awesome. That was cool. I always dig it when I have Mike Barnes on. He's uh, he's a good dude. Uh, always a great guest. Uh, sorry about that. I hit the mic stand there. Anyway, all right, guys. Let's uh, let's get into this with Jason Phelps. By the way, um, the i wanted to thank you guys real quick august was like this crazy huge month for downloads for the western huntsman podcast and i think it's like a combination we had a bunch of good guests and we also had uh you know we're coming up to hunting season so i think a lot of people are starting to tune in more to podcasts and stuff like that but we just had like an astronomical amount of downloads which is just it speaks to uh the the fact that i have the best audience out there in terms of um, in terms of hunting podcasts you guys are just awesome man i don't I don't, I don't know, hardly I don't get you know a lot of negative feedback I don't get a lot of people attacking me I do every once in a while which is always expected but um, you know most people are just freaking cool They're, they've been they've been so nice and and their their feedback has been so kind and and positive and and man I just I really appreciate that and the downloads it just really surprised me yeah and then you know what else surprised me is like where the downloads are coming from. And I always thought that you know I'd get the most downloads out of Idaho because I'm I'm here in Idaho. But actually, Washington has the most amount of downloads. In fact, specifically, I get more downloads in Seattle, Tacoma, Washington than uh, than anywhere. But just barely. But uh, then coming in uh, coming in right behind that is the Boise area, and then the Spokane area and uh, some other parts of Idaho and Salt Lake City and Denver Colorado Th- those are kind of like the top areas so uh interesting to see how that breaks down and and uh, just to, again guys thank you from the the bottom of my heart that uh it just means a lot to me I wish I wish I could shake everybody's hand and you're just along for the ride with me and and I appreciate it let's uh, let's keep this going and and you guys if you have any suggestions or comments or, or you know constructive criticism anything like that that you want me to know about uh, definitely feel free to reach out to me and and let me know and so with that guys I, I appreciate uh, all the downloads and the support um, you guys rock all right man September's here. Jason Phelps of uh phelps game calls so jason started phelps game calls essentially i you know i don't know if it was technically in the garage but i always kind of have that in my mind you know he he started it um at home making his own calls and with the thought of of sharing it you know with uh with some friends or whatever the calls and next thing you know it's it's growing into what it is and he he actually kind of talks about that we start the episode off kind of the story of phelps game calls and and Jason is one of those guys that he goes all over the place to hunt elk. He's he's been successful with Roosevelt. He's been successful with Rocky Mountain elk. Uh, he's been successful all over the West, uh, different states, and and just does a great job at both promoting his company. They make fantastic calls, as you know, they're a sponsor of the show. Uh, we have a promo code for Phelps. Uh, which you'll hear in the, the the ads that we have, but that's uh, Huntsman 10, and that gives you 10% off of Phelps Game Calls, and they're just a great company to support. And Jason is one of those just salt of the earth kind of dudes, you know. He's just you just always you just want to like have a beer with him and hang out with him because he he's just a great guy, uh, super down to earth. Uh, you never know what you're gonna get when when you're getting like a founder. Of of a company that's that's well known and and you know popular kind of thing. You never know what you're going to get with those kind of people. Uh, but uh, Jason is one of those dudes. He could I, I'd invite him around my campfire any day of the week and twice on Sunday. Uh, just a great guy. I'm super excited to have him on the show and we break down all sorts of stuff. Elk wise, elk hunting strategies, calling stories, all sorts of stuff. It's a long episode, guys, and it's the grand finale for 2020 School of September series. If you listen to all episodes, you are going to be a graduate of the school of September at the end of this show. And what I what, I, what I'm I'm in the process of. Uh of making having t-shirts made uh for the school of september that you know and and i don't know what do you guys think should i have something that says like uh, school of september alumni or grad or something like that let me know if you got any t-shirt ideas on that and i'll i'll put them up on the website we're almost ready with that uh, merchandise side of it so it'll be kind of cool anyway guys here we go with jason phelps of phelps game calls here we go guys i am on the line with the one the only the what else should i call you jason i mean
3: there's all sorts uh, of stuff we should probably stop there because i already can't live up to whatever you're going after there, so <laughs> <we'll>, uh, <laughs> oh i highly doubt that
0: i highly doubt that i've got jason uh, right? phelps i've got jason phelps on the line uh with phelps game calls as you guys know for the uh, kind of the what, what I was just telling him before we hit record is kind of like the grand finale of the school of September series. So up until this point, I'll just kind of go through it real quick. We've had the elk nut Palmadale on. We've had Dirk uh, the, the bugler on. We've had Corey Jacobson. We've had Michael Batiste from the elk calling academy. And, uh, Chris Rowe from Rowe Hunting Resources and we're kind of, and then we had Joe Gillia of, of Elk Bros. And so we're kind of wrapping this up with, uh, with Jason Phelps. And I think it's kind of a perfect way to wrap this series up actually, because Jason, when when it comes to like calling and, and all this other stuff that we're going to get into is tactics and strategy you've got some you've got some excellent stats, and I know a lot of people are looking forward to this when I've had a ton of messages about it so thanks for joining perfect, me perfect. and welcome to the show man
3: yeah thanks for having me Jim I really appreciate it
0: so I kind of want i want to start this off because i've I've wanted to have you on the show since I started the podcast and and this is the first time we we've been able to make it happen and I know it's a super busy time elk season's about to kick off but I was hoping yep. I can get just kind of a a snapshot of like from the, you know, the, the bird's mouth or whatever himself, like how did Phelps game call
3: start? And like, how did it become what it is now? So just, yeah, I mean, just, just like I think most businesses and ideas it it came from, you know, out of necessity um, when I started to call elk and, and I thought I was good back then, you know, twenty twenty five years ago, whenever I started doing this and I, I thought I was good. I, I kind of ran into, you know, some of these calls aren't as, some of these are good. Some of them are bad. Some of them aren't usable. Some of them are great. Some of them last a long time. Some of them don't. And I just it, it, kind of out of frustration, like I said, necessity, what if we can build a couple of these, right? Why can't the rest of them be right? And so I, I started just the you know, kind of exploring like, you know, how to build game calls. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, knew a little bit about him from tinkering him. You know, I was a guy that would, would take my, um, you know, Primo's Hyperlip apart and, and try to marry it with a, uh, fighting oh. cow from Carlton. I just, forgot like, about
0: that Hyperlip, man.
3: <laughs> yeah. You know, so Gold I boy. would, I was a guy that was tinkering. Like I'm going to build my own call out of these guys' calls and, and just started to kind of learn, um, you know, what the calls did, what mattered, what didn't. And then, um, just started doing my own, you know, kind of coming from a small town background, you know, woodshop was, uh, You know, taught in high school, I knew how to run a lathe, knew how to, you know, do all of that. And so that was kind of my my easiest entry into making calls was to build a wood bodied call with an insert that I could get readily available and then, you know, do a little bit of tuning and and make them sound good. So that's kind of where I started. And to be honest, and and I don't know if people care to believe me or not, I, I honestly thought when I started this, maybe. Sell 10, 20, 30 and maybe get my buddies to to trust me enough, um, or you know the calls be good enough that maybe my buddies will run them um, during hunting season. And that's where I thought it would probably end. And so I y- was
0: like, uh, give us an idea. Like, how long ago was that when when you you started tinkering around, started making some of the calls, and then you're like, okay, hopefully my buddies will buy these and use them. What, what was that about ten years ago or so?
3: Yeah, yeah, two thousand nine. So eleven, a little over eleven years. I started kind of. And it's a slow process because, to be honest, you don't really know exactly what you're doing and where to source parts and um, you know even even the tools that it took to, to build a call right and, and consistent. Um, so you kind of go down that path and and I all right I got pretty good at these and uh, you know uh, a small town shy you know relatively shy guy not good at talking I, I had a fairly good knack for marketing and and hey if I could just get these people you know to let me share my calls or do some giveaways or or whatever it was, you know. So I went like to the Monster Melees forums and and talked to the owner, like, hey, I'd I'd love to just provide some free calls to your users, and and that picked up some steam, and um, you know, local forums and and people started to like them, and um, you know, whether it was marketing or just you know, I don't my, I don't think I have a great personality, but everybody, you know, whether it was my personality, whether it was my you know ability to give the you know people time, things just started to pick up steam, and and uh, being a diehard Archie O'Connor, like, well, what's next? I need to learn how to make diaphragms. Well, how do you do that? Um, you know, and so the re- you go back to the drawing board, where do you get diaphragms? Well, who builds the presses? Um, what design do I want in my presses? And, and you start to track down all of these items. And then that was like the progression was to get into, you know, building diaphragms. So that was, I knew I had to get there to kind of get to the next level. Uh, it yeah. was, it was, um, a struggle though, because when I started, um, you know, with, without the you know any financial backing and, and doing it all out of pocket, uh, you were kind of stuck with, with using what everybody else was using out there, whether it was the same materials, the same frames, the same tape. And uh, it, it was a little bit of a challenge, but we pushed through. Um, I spent hundreds and hundreds of hours behind that press, um, frustrated as all get out until we finally started to have some recipes come together and, uh, kind of just learned how to put a diaphragm together that people would, you know, some people could use, some yeah. people couldn't use the flat frames. And I knew it was always going to be a struggle, which ultimately down the road, you know, leads us to the amp frame. Um, you know, long, you know, rewind, we used to do beagle tubes, but they were made out of fat bats. Uh, you know, your kids, <laughs> bat. we would, yeah. we would take, yeah, we'd take them, we'd cut off the neck, we'd drill the holes in the end. We'd, we'd put some electricians, rubber splicing tape on them to kind of deaden the barrel. Um, we'd sew the covers in house, whether it was my grandma or my aunt and, and we were doing all of this stuff and then everything kind of fell into my, my lap at the right time. You know, fat bats like, Hey, we can no longer sell you guys tubes. Well, guess what? I had a tube design forever. I just couldn't afford to, to bring it to market. Well, I had finally, you know, Hey, I've saved enough money. Let's, let's just go full, you know, let's double down, um, on our own designs. And, and, you know, that amp and unleash came out about the same time and, and just kind of took off like wild, you know, fire. And uh, that was kind of the big turning point for us is when we were able to produce and design um, calls that I had designed. I was, I was excited about, I had tested, vetted, made sure they were good, had hundreds and hundreds of field users use that amp frame before I ever brought it to market the following year. I knew, I knew a guy with a narrow mouth, what he thought of the call. I knew a guy like myself with a giant mouth could use the call, Um, you know, and and everywhere in between um, people that hated flats, people that liked the flats. And, and had enough feedback that I was like, all right, I'm comfortable enough to release this um, diaphragm. And, uh, you know, I, I can remember the first time Dirk actually walked by the booth. You know, he at that time, he wasn't using our calls. But just like always, you know, you want to hand those guys some calls and just say, hey, crank on this and tell me what you think. And I remember him coming back by the booth later, like, uh, don't change anything, just keep doing that. Oh, really? Uh, I so didn't know was, that. Yeah. What year was that? Yeah. That would have been the very first year we were in Salt Lake City and I believe that was 2017 because we tested them in 16, um, released them in 17, and uh, yeah, just just kind of went on from there. See, I love I love those kind of stories, man.
0: I, I, I like yep. hearing that kind of stuff. You know, you like and, w- you start making these things in your garage, and next thing you know, you're in Salt Lake at the expo, handing these things yep. out to like Dirk and, and whoever, and and uh, yep. and starting to get feedback, man.
3: Yeah, and to me, the I love to hang my hat on the fact that it was, it was just because I wanted feedback from a guy like Dirk, like, Hey, I'm, I'm pretty proud of these. You know, what do you think? And there was never an intention like that meeting would turn into what it is now our relationship with me and Dirk. It was more just a validation. Like, all right, we've got a good call. I never intended, you know, at that time, like, you know, Dirk was never going to be, you know, one of my employees or, you know, the friendship would turn into what it was. It was just more of a, a validation. And, uh, you know, it's, it's You know, him being a good guy, giving me honest feedback, me being a good guy, just, you know, wanting his feedback, but nothing else. And then, you know, ultimately it's turned into a a real good thing for Phelps game calls.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And that's interesting, man, because that's actually, I met Dirk at a uh, trade show too. It was the the Bighorn show in Spokane. And he was behind the, he was in the Mountain Ambush booth hanging out there. And I'm like, I know that dude. That's Dirk, that's (laughs) Dirk Durham. So I go over there. And I talked him into letting me write an article about him, and and so uh, little did I know that uh, you know he he's jerk Durham, and and I, <laughs> I, I said all these good things about him, and and now look at it, man. That was yeah, I just yeah. don't know if that was a good idea. <laughs>
3: uh, yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, no, he's a great dude. That's that's a great story, man. Um, I just, I and I'm a huge fan. I actually, it was by default, and it probably was about. Well, I think it was 2017 or 2018. When did the amps come out?
3: 17 was the first year we launched them in February of 17. To okay. Okay. So it must've been 2017 because
0: I, I had a call that, uh, or a read that I was I was pretty happy with. And um, I, uh, you know how it goes. You get up on the mountain and you lose one or you ruin one because you, you know, drank a Gatorade and it got messed up in your mouth right after yep kind of thing. And so I had to run into town. They were out of that particular call, but they had the black amp. I think I think it was a black. Yep. And and I picked up a couple of those and I went up there and it was like and I'm not exaggerating, man. I went from sounding like a whipped coyote in a in a <laughs> in a freaking riverbed to to all of a sudden I'm just screaming on on my bugle tube with these amp calls and I've never I've never gone back I still use the amps and I use I use all of them I know there's yeah there's like this this fun uh, rivalry between like the pink and the and the Maverick and the and 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 whatnot but uh, man I've called in bulls with the pink I've called in bulls with the Maverick I've called in bulls with the black um I, yeah. it's just a freaking awesome it's like it was one of those uh like industry standard changer, game changer kind of reads that came out. You know it, what I mean?
3: Yeah, it was. And, and that kind of brings us back. You know, you can sit and design and, and I've got 3D printers and I've got the ability um, to, to test a lot of these things. But there's still always some um, anxiety leading up to, all right, we've spent all the money on this tooling now. Um, we've picked out our aluminum um, thickness and, and hardness. And you get that first batch of of frames in right and you've got to build calls on them and uh, to validate them and make sure that they were good that was the very first thing that me and Charlie Smith one of my I'll call him my master builder you know one of my one of my better builders one of my original builders um, we sat down for a day or two and just we couldn't screw them up like you could even as a builder like that was another thing like all right if we build these all exactly that that's great but as a builder, if we go you know 10 thousandths 10, loose or ten 1, tight or we don't get it in there perfectly square, um, the call was just working. Um, yeah yeah. The, the very first ones we cranked on, cranked on, cranked on and you know I went through the whole entire first show series, uh, you know the Portland Sportsman Show and the Salt Lake City Show and used the same five calls to demonstrate um, the entire time and like wow, these things look wore out. they're just beat they're wavy but they were still working. Um, and so it let, you know, it gave me a ton of confidence that, Hey, these calls, um, you know, there's something special, like you said, they all work. And, and there was a, a reason why it was on my 17th revision, you know, that I thought like, all right, we've got something now.
0: Yeah. Uh, what, what I think, what I think really stands out with those and, and I'm not trying to make this a big, you know, a, a Phelps commercial or whatever, but, The, the, what really stands out is, is I've been calling for, for long enough to, to know that I'm a pretty decent caller, right? I'm not, I'm not a great caller. I'm not like the bugler, you know, kind of, kind of level, but I'm a pretty good caller. And the, the same read that I use, whether it's the pink or the Maverick or whatever, I, I last year, like a month before season, man, I gave, I gave one to my, my uh, 17 year old daughter. Actually, she turned 18 in September. Uh, like a month before and like, she's out there, she, she worked her butt off for a, for a month, but she was using the, the, the Maverick and, uh, and the black amp. And I cut the black amp just down just a touch to kind of help, you know, fit her palate a little bit better, but yep, yep. she's out there screaming and she's out there screaming with this thing last, last year, man. And nice. so it's, it's just an interesting thing. Like for advanced callers or, or beginning callers, it's, it's these, these amp diaphragm reads are, are just kind of, it's, it's hard to beat them. And so
3: yeah, I, I, I agree. And it, I'm, I'm not that guy that's going to sit and talk about our own stuff. Like it's, the you know, there's certain stuff works for certain people, but in my testing and, and all the feedback we've got, it, they work for a lot of people. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's nice to know that we designed something that seems to work a little, you know, a little better for most people. How long have you been hunting elk? Is that, is that, does that come out of your childhood or, or adult onset it, or, or tell us I, about that? I wish it came as a child. Deer hunting was okay as a kid. Elk hunting was not. Um, elk hunting was like I can remember growing up. Like I was so mad at my dad and uncles because the kids never got to go elk hunting. If they did, it was maybe ride around with grandpa and grandma. Why the guys elk hunted? You know, it was a uh, you know beat the brush. You're in the timber all day long. Mm-hmm. Um, elk hunting in Southwest Washington is a whole lot different than everywhere I hunt now in the West. Um, so i can remember that being kind of that rite of passage um you know my i i think they finally started letting me hunt elk um my junior year no no i take that back my sophomore year of high school but they they did they they gave themselves some additional um you know hunting season because they they said here you take a muzzle muzzleloader we're going to keep rifle hunting you know so they were extending their seasons or their time out in the field or their you know, the potential to put meat in the freezer by getting me a muzzleloader tag. So I was able to go out there and start start elk hunting, but it wasn't the way in what we knew that the guys did. And so um, my dad's uncles, all of, you know, a bunch of loggers forever, you know, they hunted elk hard. They would check the clear cuts first thing in the morning. And if the elk aren't there, they were diving in the timber and you might not see them until dark where they said they were going to come out. Uh, And that's, that was like the way that my family elk hunted. And it's a lot different than than 95% of the places, you know, the elk live nowadays. Um, yeah. it's not jump, you know, it's not jumping the timber and beat the brush and learn how to track and, and be able to read the sign and, and basically, you know, go track a bull down in the timber and kill him before he sees you type of a, a hunt. Um, so yeah, grew up deer hunting, but, um, knew I was always going to be an elk hunter. Absolutely was, you know, was excited for that day, you know, that rite of passage to be able to elk hunt with the guys. Um, and, and was very fortunate to learn from some really good elk hunters and and maybe even better woodsman that, that, you know, they, they hunt elk differently than I do now with the calls in my mouth, but I was able to pick up and still use a lot of the stuff that they use as far as, you know, being able to track elk, smell elk, figure, figure out where they're at based on, you know, hunting through the timber. Um, And and I still, you know, use a lot of that information now to, to, you know, be successful in archery bulls
1: hmm
0: so that was kind of one of those things where you you kind of they, they let you dip your toes with muzzle odor. and you guys are hunting um the west side of of washington right where it's like a jungle over there
3: yep um intense intense brush i know you're up in northern idaho um you know i i i can't compare them to each other but this coastal brush is is something else you know devil's clubs everything pokes you sticks to you um you know, uh, whatever it may be, um, you know, gets you, and and it's it's definitely challenging. Um, You know, and it rains here the whole time. Yeah. Um, from about yeah. you know October on, um, you know, you're always going to be hunting in your rain gear. Um, so it's just it's a little different, and it, and uh, you know, it, I. It's so brushy. I don't want. It is, and I don't want the rest of your podcast listeners to to tell me that I think we're better, but it's a different game. Like some, I've always said that a successful Roosevelt elk hunter can go anywhere and be successful elk hunting. I don't know if that reverses. I don't think you can take potentially a a good Rocky Mountain elk hunter and throw them in this coastal jungle and they're going to be able to find their way. And I'm not saying that negative or that we're better, but I just, I've seen it enough times that there's been a lot of, you know, industry guys come to come to the coast and kind of just, uh, you know, get, get their, you know, butt whipped and their tails between their legs as they go home.
0: Yeah, no, I, uh, there actually, I, I agree totally with that. So I've, I've hunted all over the West. I've, I've fished all over the West, you know, there, there's, and I've been, I, I've never hunted Western, um, Washington or Oregon. And, uh, in fact, I've never hunted Oregon. Uh, hopefully I'm going to change that soon, but anyway, so so like, okay, I, I, I've been over there, man. North Idaho is one of the most difficult areas I've ever hunted, and I, I think that if I came to Western Washington and chased Roosevelt, I'd have my ass handed to me in, like, a pink wheelbarrow.
1: And I mean, <laughs> it would
0: just be a disaster uh, because it, it is it is seriously brushy and, and super thick. And like you said, like, it's thick and brushy here, but you don't stick to everything. And you can. Uh, you, there is some visibility in North Idaho, at least. So, I mean, it's just... And it's, it's like that anywhere, you know, there, there's, there's challenges wherever you go. Right. I mean, Arizona has its challenges, even though it's wide open kind of, kind of country and and, 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 with the exception of some of that higher elevation stuff and Ponderosa forests and stuff, it's just, it it doesn't matter where they've all got their challenges, but, but there is something super unique about Western Washington and and coastal Oregon um, that, that Roosevelt country, I've never done it. And I really, really want to someday. So Yeah.
3: um, yeah. It's, I mean, I, I've got some, ama- you know, used to have some of the best elk hunting in the world, uh, you know, right in my backyard, and you know, it's definitely nice as you start to cut your teeth on on Colin Bolson because he had lots of opportunity. Now um, we have hoof rot and some other issues that are bad, and then the only downside, which is, you know, back when we were just filling freezers, we didn't care. I am almost positive there's no scientific um, facts to back this up, just my own observation. We have the world's smallest horned, or the smallest antlered elk in the world in my backyard. So oh, really, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they just they're they're Roosevelt rosy- about huge bodies, but they just I mean everything's you know what I would consider a raghorn now going to other states. There's just um, I don't know if it's our age class, if it's our genetics, or what, but there's just very rarely um, you know big mature bulls here.
0: So uh, what what's your favorite state to hunt? Favorite. Yeah, yeah.
3: What would you uh, What would you say
0: is like your just the most enjoyable hunt you've been on statewide?
3: I think Wyoming. Um, you know, I've only been there once. Uh, I've been there well once on an elk hunt, once on a deer hunt, and I just I like Wyoming um, where I elk hunted. There was a lot of elk. It was just, you know, it was beautiful country. Um, was I that everything about it?
0: That was that hunt you went on last year when? Um, uh, well, I don't want to say the area uh, anyway. The, it, but it was it was Wyoming. Yep. I, I think I know where you were at but so that that type of country uh, and that that particular area of, of Wyoming is like it's grizzly free right
3: yep yep I, you know and that was a lot of that went into weighing in on on my decision I will hunt grizzly country I do it in Montana I'm gonna do it this year in Wyoming um, as I have mm-hmm. another tag um, that I was fortunate to draw I'll do it but that definitely added into uh, you know having that many points 10 years. I wanted to be able to hunt hard until last light and not worry about the next two hours or, um, have that worry potentially, you know, the little gremlins in your head saying, well, you really should go after them because you're going to be in the heart of grizzly country two hours from your, yeah. your truck or from camp. And, and so it was kind of added into my decision, um, along with just the sheer number of elk. Like it was, it was one of those hunts that was so fun because you were always an elk, always calling elk. They were super talkative. And, uh, Wyoming right now was up there. Um, New Mexico was a blast because I love being a guy that lives in Western Washington. As we just talked, has a ton of water. Water never means anything here. Yeah. yeah. Where you go to New, New Mexico and I'm like, this is amazing. All these elk have to be on water every morning and every night. This is, this is like way better than a, a salt lick that was put in. This is way better than a mineral site. This is way better than a wallow. Like anything you could throw anywhere else in Idaho or anywhere else, like these water tanks, these, these mm-hmm. guzzlers are like, this is cheating. You know, it's, it's like knowing where your opponent's at every time, you know, you, you start the game. Um, uh, and so it, it New Mexico is a lot of fun too, but I think Wyoming just for the sheer amount of elk and the, the amount of noise that those elk in Wyoming made um, was fun.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There, there is something about Wyoming that I love and I've never hunted elk there, but uh, I, I have a feeling that's going to change next year because uh, finally I, I'm starting to get, you know, some decent points over there. So anyway, yeah. that's, uh, that's perfect, awesome. Perfect. That's awesome, man. No, that's, that's great. Yep. And, uh, and so, okay. So we, we got some, we got some background on you. We got some, we got a, a cool story about how Phelps game calls started and, and, uh, you know, like the direction, is there anything direction wise you want the audience to know about Phelps game calls before we get into some of these, uh, you know, hunting topics, uh, uh for, for the series? Um, in terms of like, do you guys have anything new coming out? Do you have, what is, what is like the, the 10 year plan of Philips game calls kind of thing?
3: Yeah. I mean, it's just to keep, um, you know, innovating and, 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 uh, if not innovating, making something that we all use and making it better or more user friendly, um, you know, really put our ear to, to the and and, you know, to the feedback that we get, uh, I was unaware of how many people you know, needed a smaller call. So we've got something we're trying to address there. Um, not everybody can run a diaphragm. So we've got something we're working on there that sounds a little better than anything else I've been able to use. Um, just always trying to, to double down and um, you know think of what users aren't we reaching now? What what would they like to have? And, and always grow that, whether it's through better materials, um, different materials, um, kind of that whole gamut. And then really look at you know, I'm an elk guy by, you know, th- that's my passion. But I also love turkey hunting when I used to get the turkey hunt. Now that this business is so busy, I haven't got to hunt near as much as we used to. But, you know, the turkey mm-hmm. hunting industry is, is four times bigger than the elk hunting industry. So as a business guy, you know, putting my passion aside a little bit, but I still love calling the turkeys. Like, hey, we need to, we need to definitely pick it up on the, on the turkey call side. So we're, we're going to dive deep there. We've got some new predator call stuff coming out. Um, if it wasn't for COVID, we would have been there already. But this year, um, we've had a great year. But materials testing, getting samples was a disaster because it, it seems like every manufacturer in the U.S. shut down to build face masks. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And they were so um, we've got some stuff. Um, we're gonna now <laughs> instead of being able to release it, we're gonna get to do a whole other year of testing. Um, so we're pretty excited about all of that to see if if all of our designs are. Are good and then um, bring a lot of stuff to, to market um, early 2021.
0: Well when you're talking predator calls? What what are we talking? Uh, like you guys, I I've, I've well no wait a minute was that the coyote call or something like that? Anyway, wh- what do you guys have coming out predator call wise?
3: So so we've our, we've always had um, a, a fawn in distress. Or, uh, and that's a closed read. So basically anybody that can cup their hand and blow on a call can, can use a closed read. We've got three, um, open read, open readed similar to our easy estrus. you know, you, you've got a read on top of a, a plastic tone board. We've got three of those coming out. And then we're also working on a line um, with some pretty good coyote callers, um, you know, uh, coyote howler diaphragms, distressed diaphragms, and, and some of that. Um, so we're trying to really fill out that whole line, um, on the predator call side.
0: Any, uh, so like Dirk sold me on this blacktail fawn in distress for bear hunting. Now I failed. I it did not call in a black bear <laughs> for me. Uh, but that was my fault. <laughs> not, not the calls. Have yeah. you used that
3: thing for black bear? So I've never hunted black bear because I, in my state, unlike your guys, it's almost impossible to draw a stinking spring bear tag and i had enough points that i've i've never personally used it and there are a lot of people out there that do use that fawn in distress call um for spring bear you know at the time that those fawns are dropping i will tell you what i did with those calls and i did it a bunch of times and and it's a kick but i don't like to stress the deer out in my yard i love to go out in the yard and hide behind my house and start cranking on that thing when i know there's a deer out there or a doe out there and you will watch her run by you full speed at six yards she turns the corner in <laughs> the house looking for wherever that fawn is. Yeah. Um, and, and so it, it's obvious that they work. The meat eater guys, um, have tested that call a lot more than I have. Ryan Callahan, back when he used to guide black bear hunts up in Canada, um, you know, I believe a Ranella used it on a sick blacktail hunt where a lot of times you call the, the doe in with that fawn in distress and the buck in the rut is right behind her. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. we've used it, we have used it in Montana, um, during the rut that those does, and you'll watch 10 deer come single file over the coolies or you know through the rises and then that buck's just behind him because he's not gonna leave that group of does. Um so there are times where this thing works. I just haven't got to use it yet on bear, but um you know using it as a deer call um has worked well and then I know you know, Callahan and some other people have used that that call really really successfully for spring bear.
0: Well, I just I, I think my problem was I didn't have enough time this last year to to get after the bears. I, I only went out a few times, but yeah, come over and see me in Idaho, man. We'll go try it out. We got this this area I hunt has four black bears per square mile. Uh, it's it's pretty Jeez. it's pretty thick. So um
3: yeah, I, well, you know it. what I, well, I was come give it a, a try.
0: Yeah, come come see me. We'll go try it because what what I get nervous about is I'm always solo hunting with that. And I'm, I'm worried, okay, I'm facing this way, uh, using this call. I'm worried like I'm going to turn around and there's going to be a black bear uh,
3: about (laughs) to lick
0: me right across the face, you know?
3: Yeah. That's what, (laughs) that's a struggle because they're so dang quiet too. And so that's how it usually happens is that they're just right on top of you.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, They're super quiet.
3: No, I need to come spring bear hunting more because, uh, my kids have decided that there's no better food on earth than breakfast sausage made out of bear. Yeah, so I need to need to keep cool. that stocked up in the freezer.
0: Cool. All right. Well, let's uh, let, let's let's talk about that, and maybe we can we can work something out for next year because I, I don't think the, the non resident tags are too much. But um, what do you say to like? I want to get your reaction. You know, no. word word got out that I was having Jason Phelps on the show, right? And so I start getting all these messages and voicemails. And I got kind of a, a an interesting voicemail from a guy, uh, and I want I want to get your reaction to it, and and I, I don't want you to be I don't I don't want you to take it personal, but um, you mind if I play that voicemail?
3: No, go ahead, go ahead, Jim.
0: Okay, I yeah I sometimes the internet gives out on us, but I, I just want to get your reaction on this. Uh, this guy has he's super opinionated, but uh, let's see what he says.
1: Uh yeah yeah Jim uh this is Doug perfect uh Rudy. Doug damn, Flutie, listen. Uh, I, word on the street is you've got some so-called celebrity coming on there on your show tonight, and I just kind of want to put a buzz in there about that guy. You know, uh, hey, I know his name is Phelps. Game calls. I like to call. I like to call him Slaps' like his gums. Flaps game calls. Slaps' his gums game calls. That is. Yeah, he likes to run his mouth. He's pretty good stuff, you know. Big old, you know, celebrity and all, but. Listen, I don't know if I've listened to everything he had to say or even, I don't even know if you should be letting your listeners listen to that nonsense. I know you and I put together a real nice podcast, you know, here a few weeks ago, and and I sure enjoyed that and I appreciate it. Kind of let me set this record straight on a lot of these misconceptions about elk hunting. But anyway, I, I just want to caution you. A man will lead you astray. And he might even say some unkind things about me. And you know, I, you know, I'm, I'm trying to put, you know, the shoe on the other foot, you know, and you know, trying to kind of turn the other cheek, if you will. But uh, anyway, if you can, uh, you know, take some of that advice, I'd appreciate it. You know, if you want to talk a little bit more, I mean, you're, you're, I'm always open for conversation. You know that. Uh, if you want to drink a cold hams and smoke some Marlboro Reds, you just give me a holler, old 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 son and and we'll just connect the dots. All right, Jimmy.
3: I'll talk to you later. (laughs) Bye-bye.
0: What do you say to these naysayers out there like Doug Flutie?
3: (laughs) Oh, man, I'm still laughing. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know how he does it, Um, but. uh, (laughs) He can uh, turn that that on
0: like a water faucet, man. It's crazy.
3: It makes, the thing is, like, some of his ideas and these voices and these skits, like they make me so uncomfortable. My skin crawls. But you uh, know, he's that's what's so awesome about him. Uh, yeah, Doug, <laughs> that damn Doug Flutie.
0: Damn Doug Flutie. Oh, I, you know, he's he's my friend now. Doug Flutie's my friend now. He came on the show. He signed the <laughs> wall in the urinal of the Broken Brokentine Studio, and so, uh, you know, I gotta support the guy. But well,
3: he, I got the. The odds in Vegas on Doug Flutie killing the bull this year are like five hundred to one. Though says so the poor <laughs> the poor guy's got his uh, the odds stacked against him. <laughs> <laughs> All right,
0: sounds good. So this it's an interesting dynamic watching. Uh, you know, we'll switch gears. Uh, uh, heck with Doug Flutie for a minute. Well, it's an interesting dynamic watching watching you and Dirk kind of you know what uh, you guys. It seems like a really good partnership,
3: and it is, it it's kind of
0: fun watching, man. Yeah, he's, you,
3: know, you don't get, you know, you only get a few guys, you know, that, that are as, as good of a guy, um, as personable as him, and just that quality guy, um and, and, you know, we work well together, you know, there's, you know, I, I have some some wit and some humor, but just not even close to his level, like, uh, I'm the dry engineer, you know, the smart guy, nice to everybody, and then you got Dirk on the other side, pull her off, well, he's nice to everybody, but you know, it's like he doesn't want to dive too deep into you know being a nerd. He's just super funny. Um, you know, can recite any video, you know, movie yeah, line, yeah. all of that stuff. And so it is. It's just a good dynamic. Um, we work well off each other. You know, when he's thinking about this, I'm thinking about the opposite, and uh, it makes sure that we don't end up you know too far deep into a rabbit hole. Um, you know, working through some of our ideas together. <laughs>
0: No, it's that's that's great. You make some good points there in terms of because I've I've known Dirk for a while now, and he is dude. He's super witty. He's a lot more witty than I am. I can't keep up with yep. him. Uh, now that's that's great. You guys, I'm I was super happy when I heard you guys were going to start working working together. He was coming on board with Phelps game calls, and and yep. uh, I think that, that's a good partnership there for sure. So all right, so let's get into some uh, let's get into some elk talk a little bit here. Uh, what do you know about elk?
3: Nothing. <laughs> no, uh, I, I know, I know if I couldn't use calls to call Elkin, I might not, I might be the worst elk hunter there is if, if you took my calls away. Uh, I do know that. No, they're, they're awesome. They're, they're amazing creatures. Um, as we've mentioned maybe multiple times already, like I'm a nerd at heart. Like I, I'm a social engineer, but like when I first started hunting elk and decided I wanted to kill these things with a bow and be able to control them with calls. and And when I mean control them, like get them to do exactly what I want. I just became a complete student of the game. Like I watched elk, um, you know, from, you know, first of July until November. I just wanted to know what they were doing. Well, Hey, that bull just chuckled and he was in the middle of his herd of cows. Why do you do that? And then that bull's chasing another satellite bull off, but he chuckled again. Now, why the heck do those two sounds happen? The same sounds, the same bull, but yet he's doing two different things. Does And so I just like, I've, I've, you know, for lack of a better word, just became a student of the game. There wasn't a lot of information out there when I started to do this. Um, I didn't really have a good mentor in my area because nobody archery all kind of back at, you know, 20, 25 years ago when we started doing it. Um, everybody was like rifle
0: hunting back then. Is that, they just, you didn't know anybody or what?
3: Yeah, I just, you know, I, I guess once I decided to pick up a bow and start going to bow shops, you realize that there's a lot bigger, um, you know, group of bow hunters out there that maybe I didn't see, but I can remember the 110,000 acres, you know, that's known as the PL South, um, warehouser camp that I could drive all day long and never see another bow hunter in the woods ever. Um, uh, it was, it was me. I had all of these elk to myself. And, uh, like I said, I learned a, hard, a lot of hard lessons, but I had a lot of, a lot of opportunity and learned really, really quick what worked and what didn't, um, for my style and, and kind of developed that. So, um, you know, and, uh, as a, as a fat kid at heart, I love eating these things like, man, these things, not only are they fun to hunt, but these things taste dang good and, and a whole bunch of different recipes. So it was like the perfect pastime to go, um, you know, go call these things in, you know, kind of like the puppet master, like, man, I wish I could, you know, when I move my hand this way, when I make that call, this thing does this. And when I do that, it does this. And that was really my goal was to go out there and be able to, to kind of trick nature, uh, control nature. And then I came from a, a big family that was all about stacking meat in the freezer. So that was always important, um, you know, to go out there and, mm. and, and do that as well. So,
0: so when you, when we're talking about, um, well, actually we'll, we'll, I want to circle back to the recipe thing and the elk, uh, and the elk meat and all that kind of stuff in a, in a minute here. So let's, let's okay. dive into a little bit of, uh, philosophy in terms of <clears throat> what is Jason Phelps, uh what are some things that that you find important for um you know not necessarily a new hunter maybe maybe it's an experienced hunter like me who spent a lot of time in the woods but isn't successful every year right and 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 somebody that uh they they really want to get after it um could you walk us through you get you get up in the morning it's september what what does a day elk hunting with jason phelps look like
3: so very first and most importantly is, and you know, everybody's going to be like, well, th- we're not learning anything from this guy. He just says the most obvious answers. The very first thing <laughs> I have to do is find him note. You know, the very first thing you have to do is find him. Whether mm-hmm. that involves, um, this is where Doug Flutie's probably going to call me and leave me some nasty uh, voice messages. If I'm, I'm sorry. Not elk- I'm sorry about that. I, <laughs>
0: I, I, I'm not going to say I gave him your number, but I'm not going to not say it either.
3: Okay. So, I mean, <laughs> if you're not in elk every single day, um, morning and night, like you need to do something different or be in a different unit. Um, I love more than anything to grind it out and it only takes one elk, but being in a big group of elk or in an area where you have multiple opportunities every day is always going to be to your benefit trying to kill these things. Um, but with that said, let's say you are in an area like that. My goal is to just find, find the elk that morning, wherever they're at. And if that means blazing ridges as fast as I can walk and locating bulls and then that's what it's going to be. Or if, um, you know, if I was able to not, and I was able to go uh, locate a bowl at night the night before, I want to be on that bowl first thing in the morning. So I at least have that guaranteed opportunity that morning versus, um, potentially just aimlessly walking through the woods or doing the same thing that I did the last three or four days, um, leading up to that, and getting the same result. Uh, my goal is if there's not an elk there, um, if I can't find one within a, a decent, you know, distance, um, then you know I'm I'm gonna do something different. Um, so you know, find elk, um, you know, really track down the elk, and then you know, play our game after that, and then we can get into kind of like what's that philosophy once we have located elk. Um, well, let's, let's stick to lo-
0: locating them for a minute because I wanna I want to dive a little bit deeper into, like, what are you doing to find elk? What we 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 want to find an elk, right? Or, or a group of elk or, or, you know, whatever. Uh, like what, what kinds of things are you looking for in, in, let's say a unit, let's say you drew a tag in Wyoming and you've done all the e-scouting, you've done all that stuff. Now you're, you're day one on the ground in the field. What kinds of things are you looking
3: for at that point? So I'm going to go try to truth my high points. Like as much as I love to beagle, as much as I love to get a bull to beagle back, I'd much prefer to be able to look at these elk from a distance prior to my hunt, leading into my hunt, during my hunt, and just really, all right, I'm on a high vantage, and I can see, you know, for miles in each direction. Like, that's my ultimate spot to be, um, you know, that way I can look over at this mountain. Are they on the south? Are they on the west? Are they on the north? Are they on the east slopes? Like, what are these elk doing? Where are they at? What elevations may they be at? Are they, you know, and I can start to answer some of these questions because... That information is going to be good for the rest of this hunt, probably in that unit throughout, um, you know, are these out coming out to feed in the high meadows above the cliffs, below the cliffs. Um, all of that stuff is going to play into what I'm going to do and what I'm going to make my decisions based on for the rest of that hunt. So number one, first and foremost, um, use my binoculars, use my optics to figure out what's going on in that unit.
0: Okay, so on that line, uh, let me throw a scenario at you. You're, you're on a ridge you're overlooking you, you know a drainage or a basin or whatever you see you see a bull elk feeding it's first thing in the morning he's just kind of moseying his way up right yep you, do you throw out a call or do you close the distance kind of kind of give yeah, the listeners I'm, like
3: what, what are you going to do at that point let's say he's yeah, 500 yards away 500 yards away I'm not going to do anything I i get nothing in return from getting that bull to talk to me besides let him know that there's a potentially another bull over there so once i locate him that's that's the same thing even with a location beagle the only reason i'm doing that is because maybe it's in the timber or we know that it's at a time where those bulls are back in the, you know going to bed and they're unvisible but i'm not going to call it that bull at 500 yards at all i'm going to let him be and uh, you know, one of the biggest you know, keys, though, what I think my success is if you can let these elk do what they want to do for the most amount of time and only have to kind of change them or change their route or change their temperament for a short amount of time, the better you're going to be at notching those tags. So if that bull is feeding across the meadow at 500 yards and I know about where he's going to be, um, you know, one thing I do have to kind of figure out is that can I make that 500 yards? Is it flat or is there a big creek between us or how long is it going to take me to get over there? Um, But I'm going to be quiet, get the wind right, and then just go try to get in front of him if the wind allows that. Um, You know, a lot of times these elk are smart enough to feed into the wind. Um, You know, they're Mm. they're no dummies. They they live, they survive for reasons. So a lot of times your ambush spot might not be the best spot to go set up. So you might have to, you know, challenge the wind at a 90 degree angle, you know, to move in or take a little bit of risk on that because these elk do. A lot of people don't realize that, you know, the elk feed in and out. Um, with the thermals and, and they they want to live. They don't necessarily want to get killed by a predator or by me. And so a lot of times you can't just get the wind perfect as you're trying to approach these things because the, um, you know, the, 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 the wind's going to give you, give you away. So that's some of the stuff that goes through my head, but ideally I'm not going to make a peep until I'm within hundred yards or closer of that bull Um, if I can, if the vegetation terrain allows it.
0: So you guys, you guys heard it right from the guy that makes elk calls. He's not going to start blowing bugles at this guy. Nope. Okay. Okay. So, so uh, here's another scenario. You're uh, again, you're on the same ridge, uh, but this time you, you kind of look down uh, and below you, uh, which, which could be problematic because we're still talking first thing in the morning, right? Those thermals might be going down. Um, yep. And, and, but this time this, this bull elk is, is within 200 yards. What, what's your move at that point?
3: Um. If, if I can see him, if he can see me, um, you know, personally, I'm going to think once again, the wind. And, and uh, you know, we can always come back to that. It, it plays an important part in archery elk hunting, especially where you've got to get close and uh, almost no, you know, unless you can shoot an elk at 300 yards, which I don't recommend to anybody with archery equipment. Every time a bull is, or any elk is going to get killed with archery equipment, they're going to be close enough that they can smell if like you don't have that right. So it's always got to be first. Um, if that bull is in a location where I can move, Ideally, I'm not going to make a peep again, and I'm once again going to back up, back out, um, evaluate the wind, what it's doing, and then figure out where I have to be in order to call that bull in. Because you, know, you can fool their eyes, you can fool their ears, but you can't fool their nose. And if I give up my location or uh, based on wind or smell, that whole entire chance of killing that bull, that bull is over. So I'd rather risk being seen or heard, back out, get the wind right, and then make my approach on that bull. Um, and then it'll be really similar to that first scenario. I'm going to try to get as close as I can, um, to that bowl before I make a peep. Um, you know, any information you can pick up, uh, when you see that bowl, did he have cows? Was he alone? Was he traveling fast? Was he feeding? You know, all of that stuff's going to add into my, you know, how quick I need to move, um, what my next decision is going to be. So like on that note like when, when
0: you and this is kind of off topic a little bit but but when you get into an area in in you've got let's say five maybe six seven days to to get a bowl uh in front of you are, are do you have like target goals are you looking for a I'm not gonna take a bowl until i'm it's a three hundred or better kind of situation, or are you more um you know if it's a bowl? uh, the, you know, branch antlered or better. Like, what are you looking for?
3: Um, I I'll give you the cool guy. I'm a real good hunter and a trophy hunter answer. I'll say that before I'm not killing anything less than, and I'll throw some crazy number out there. And the reality <laughs> is a bull that's thirty, thirty five, 35 or 40 inches smaller comes walking in. And I remember it's almost like, you know, grandpa or my uncles are sitting on my shoulder and my dad like, Hey, that thing eats just as good as a giant does. And I fall into this trap. I'd love to be a trophy hunter, but I'm not a good one.
1: Um, I know. I I'm not chasing, either, man.
3: <laughs> I love, absolutely love chasing that biggest bull on the mountain or the biggest bulls we can find. But, um, man, I, I, I'm i a trophy hunter's mentality with, like, a meat eater's trigger finger. Um, <laughs> like I just that, I, That's actually –
0: that's probably the best explanation I've ever heard on that topic.
3: That, yeah, it really just, is. I, yeah, I just – I love eating elk meat, as, as we mentioned earlier. Like, the freezer's been full since I – I can remember, and uh, you know, my my kids love it. We all kind of love um, that part of it, and so it's just it's one of those things. Now, um, you know, special hunts. Of course, the longer it takes you to draw a tag, um, if it's a special tag, um, some of those things. You know, if the area is just absolutely loaded with with big bulls, and it makes it easier. But mm-hmm. um, I bet you I can count how many bulls I've passed um, on one hand still. Um, you know, in, in my career, I, I have passed some good ones on film. Um, last year I got to hunt Mount Emily in Oregon, which is one of those hunts where you don't just, you know, kill the first bull. And I passed on some good six points and I passed on a seven by eight. That was uh, a little bit younger. Um, there were some bull that I passed on that hunt that I'm like, man, are you, have you lost, you know, completely lost your mind. And then in the end, when you kill the bull, like I did, I'm like, well, that was all worth it. And it added to that experience and those memories. So, um, yeah, I, I love chasing the biggest bull in the mountain, but, um, you know, especially on an over the counter tag. Um, the first bull that gets in the bow range is how uh, has, has the likelihood that it's going to come home in my backpack. Yeah, that's,
0: <laughs> I love, I, I love the statement. I am a trophy hunter uh, with a meat eater, a trigger finger. And because yep. that, that's, that's so true. And I think that that is the case for most hunters, man. I mean, we, we all watch, we all watch these YouTube shows and, and, and whatever, where, where these guys are getting these huge bulls and, and these big bucks and, and I, I'm like, I'm so guilty. And in fact, last year, I, I, j- I just got into whitetail. I've always been a mule deer hunter. And I, I'm a big time mule yeah. deer hunter. And uh, it's it's one of those things. That's what I grew up doing. It's my passion. Love it. Elk hunting has kind of taken that place. But there's still that that longevity factor of my history with mule deer. You know what I mean? And so, yeah. so uh, love mule deer. But uh, anyway, I just got into whitetail hunting. And last year, I'm like, okay. I've I've got two white tails down in my life, and I this year I'm gonna get the biggest white tail ever. I'm gonna go after him, and I am not kidding you, man. The first little t- the smallest four by five you will ever see in your life, <laughs> literally smallest four by four you'll ever or four by five you'll ever see in your life. I don't even know if you can call it four by five because the one you could barely even put your ring on, and yep. uh, man, I smoked him. I smoked him right. I, it was like not even any question because uh you know i 'm like you I, I I think about the the freezer i want I want that meat and yep. and so it, like on on and when we're talking along those lines, do you have an opinion as to w- when you're talking about hunting a three hundred plus herd bull kind of class bull uh versus hunting you know a raghorn how does how does your uh, and i don 't know if that's even a fair question because maybe your strategy doesn't change you just kind of hunt for whatever comes in front of you. Can you you talk about that? I don't know if you guys know this yet, but hunting season is knocking on our door. In fact, some states it's already even open. I'm, I'm seeing pictures on social media. It's coming guys. Have you gotten your scree gear? Scree is extreme mountain gear that is designed for rugged Western hunting like we talk about on this show all the time. Complete layering system for all terrain and all conditions. Gear designed to adapt to the weather, rugged gear backed by a lifetime warranty. The VIP Sizing and Exchange Program is amazing. If you get the wrong size in the mail or something's not right, you send it back for free. They, they send you the mailing slip for it and take care of everything. Guys, this is great gear. I've been running Spree for a long time now and I really, really like it. It's a great company story. Uh, The owner is real big on having high-performance technical hunting apparel at a responsible price, and that's what you're going to get with Scree. You know how it goes. You can go drop a small fortune on on some of this gear out there, right? And we all love to have it. I love having this gear. But with Scree, you're going to get the high-performance gear. You're going to get everything that you would expect on a high-performance kind of company like this uh, with with the gear you're going to get, but you're not going to break the bank. You don't need to sell your kids you don't need to take out a second mortgage just get you some screen gear and at checkout go ahead and use the promo code the Western Huntsman for 15 percent off and free shipping that's a smoking deal and Huntsman is spelled H-U-N-T-S-M-A-N A and a is an apple The Western Huntsman at checkout with Scree Gear. You should check out the elk bundle they have. It's pretty spectacular. Hope you guys check it out. I appreciate you supporting our sponsors. And our other sponsor is Phelps Game Calls. Guys, the the premier call company. Everybody knows Phelps. We all love Phelps. If you're not using Phelps Game Calls, you're not doing it right. (laughs) Okay. No, I'm serious, guys. Phelps is, is a company that was born out of this uh, great American success story that started something small and it turned into this big company that everybody knows now I use Phelps for for my elk calls I use Phelps for for predator calls they've got some new deer calls coming out it's gonna be great so I use the amp series for the elk you guys know September's on its way Or, or it could possibly be here by the time you're listening to this who knows but September's on its way my favorite time of year better than Christmas better than anything September man get your amp calls I really like the Maverick and the black amp those two are screaming reads and uh, that there's a a bunch of other reads for different types of of palettes if you will or uh, the way that you use a call it might change so you got to try a little bit of everything and uh, the the pink call is fantastic Uh, but uh, personally I like that black amp that Maverick read, Uh, those two are kind of my go-tos when it comes to calling in elk and boy do they work. Uh, Again, check out, guys, Phelps has given us a um, a promo code to use, it is Huntsman10, H-U-N-T-S-M-A-N, 10, number 10, so you'll get 10% off at checkout. Go to phelps.com and check it out. It's going to be in the show notes. And lastly, just just as a bonus promo code for you guys that are in the market for a new set of boots, I love the Explorers from Hoffman Boots. They are badass boots. They will get you up the mountain. They will get you down the mountain for several seasons. Check them out. The promo code for Hoffman Boots is HUNTSMAN15. HUNTSMAN is all caps lock. H-U-N-T-S-M-E-N 15 Go ahead and check that out. It'll be in the show notes and uh, get you some new boots and and let me know what you think. Thanks, guys. Here we go. Let's get back into it.
3: Yeah, so a lot of that, um, you know, more so my experience on hunting a lot of Roosevelt herd bulls, it was always my goal in in all of my seminars and a lot of my, um, you know, educational stuff that I put out. It sounds like we're always hunting herd bulls. And and it is, and I'm going to tell you why my strategy doesn't change, whether it is a herd bull or a satellite, or if I'm trying to kill any legal bull, why I'm still going to go after that herd bull, um, with the exception is if I know if I've glassed a satellite bull or I can see that it's a group of satellite bulls all by themselves, no cows anywhere. Um, the, you know, the herd bulls kicked, I'll use a different strategy. But satellite bulls are extremely curious, and the reason they're called satellite bulls—it's in the definition—is that those bulls are going to be a satellite bull to that herd, um, that herd bull, the cows. They're always going to be within you know three or four hundred yards typically. Um, they tend to bed next to the herd, and I would say, as I mentioned earlier, we've killed a lot of very small raghorns that we have here in the Willapa Hills behind my house. I've killed almost all of those bulls targeting the herd bull. Um, those mm. bulls are extremely curious. They they come in sometimes silent. Maybe they'll let a little half-hearted beagle out at you, trying to figure out what you are. Who's this new bull that's showing up to our satellite bull party? Because you know Fred, the herd bull over there, has got his herd and he's he doesn't bugle like that. And so they'll come in just to investigate um, to get themselves killed ultimately. And so we found out hunting Idaho, hunting Wyoming, hunting a lot of these other places. We can use those same exact tactics. Let's target the herd bull let's let's not make a peep until we get close we either see him or his cows we know we're on him and we're going to challenge that bull a lot of times that bull will come in or he'll be interested and we'll have to play that game but a lot of times if the if the satellite bulls haven't picked you off on your approach because as i said a lot of times these satellite bulls will bed two or three hundred yards away from the herd and a lot of times they are downwind so it's almost like these things talk they've they've got some sort of um, knowledge of the situation and they send these lookouts, you know, basically you're going to walk right into all these satellite bowls on your approach to the herd bull. But it, let's say you, you get to where you need to, you call a lot of times these satellite bowls are still going to come in um, and give you an opportunity to, to get a shot uh, if that's what you're after. So my strategy um, uh, aside from knowing it's a satellite bowl, um, you know, on a lone hill or something is it, always the same. If, if I am targeting that satellite bowl, um, and that's all I want to kill. I'll just go get close to him and use a, a, a whole bunch of sexy cow talk. Um, we've been fortunate enough to call a lot of these satellite bulls or satellite bull groups in, and it seems like, and, and burns. And so you can really get a good idea of how they're reacting to the call, you know, real time um, response. And these bulls will actually start to move faster the more you call. Um, so in those satellite only situations, we, we tend to ca- uh, cow call heavily and uh you know kind of just keep pouring it on that's a good topic in itself man like what
0: do you would you say you rely more on cow calls than you do on 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 being super aggressive with a with a bugle
3: no i'm i'm 95 bugles 5 percent cow calls um throughout elk season if i had to throw a number out it i would just say in that one situation where you know it's a satellite bowl or a group then i'll be heavy cow calls i'll put my bugle tube away and that instance only, I don't need to hear this thing bugle. Um, I know he's most likely going to come in um, to just as cow calls. Now on that situation where I'm trying to call a herd bull in or potentially one of the satellites, I'm going to basically kind of evaluate the situation. How talkative are they? Uh, can I see the elk? Can I see the response? But I'm going to paint the picture that I have a cow or one of his cows coming into estrus And this herd bull is, uh, you know, he's paying attention to his cows, but then I'm going to simulate a bull that's there to take care of her. So I'm going to estrus whine, you know, a pretty good whiny cow call, and then I'm going to challenge Beagle right on top of that. Basically what I'm telling that bull is you have no more time. You can't round up your cows and leave. You basically, you know, the whole fight or flight um, response that that some bulls will take if you give them the time, he's lost the ability to fly with his cows. He's got to come basically fight and defend that cow at that point. And that's really as as simple as it seems. Kind of the strategy I use over and over and over throughout an elk season.
0: So okay, you just threw a lot at me there, man. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about that estrus call because it's like a yep. controversial thing, right, it, it, among the elk it, within the elk hunting community. Okay,
3: uh, can I can I interrupt you there, Jim, just for a second? So yeah, this is this is what I hate about and I get along with a lot of, I mean, I work with Chris Rowe. I work with Paul. Mm-hmm, when when mm-hmm. you say controversy, the one thing that frustrates me is there should be no controversy. You, we can argue all day long over what that sound means and why they do it. And I've heard it before. So, I mean, I've got video of, of cows in Wyoming doing it, 600 of them doing it, um, buzzing, estrus whining. They can say whatever it means. All I know is when it comes to killing that bull at work, you know, and so yeah, the, yeah. the controversy is kind of over. And so I don't necessarily need to, to debate what that sound means or why they did it. If I do that and follow it by a challenge people, I usually get that bull to come into archery range. And so that's where I've really struggled. And me and Dirk I'm like, man, we, we want to learn, you know, if, if, you know, I get along great with Paul uses our calls, Chris Rowe uses our calls, but they have different teachings and, you know, different strategies. But I would say, hey, man, I would never tell somebody not to do what you do because you guys are killing bulls but don't you know maybe don't say that what we're doing yeah maybe it's wrong in your guys' interpretation but dang I just had that bull walk within 5 yards yeah and, and, and I get, I would say
0: I would say that that the, the the word controversy may may have been misplaced in terms of like like your Chris Rowe uh, who I'm I'm a big fan of Chris Rowe right when it, when it comes to like yep. elk biology and and behavioral stuff I could talk to that dude for hours and uh and and same with with the elk nut and uh it's it's so so controversial it's not like they were making that controversial it's yeah no
3: no no. it's
0: it's it's other people sometimes uh, you know um it's like this uh, a a social media debate right you get you get these people going back and forth on facebook and it's the same old story it gets super old i hate i hate that kind of stuff yeah Uh, but the, the, I want to kind of investigate that for a minute because it's, I'm super interested because I've, I've never really tried that. Um, my, I, I, I have, I have two strategies, man. And, and I am not on the level that you and Chris Rowe and Michael Batiste and all these guys are on. Uh, but I have two strategies. I either, I'm either, uh, a cow calling a bull in and I'll cow call a bull right to me. And and I did, I cow called a, I actually, I was using your pink call last year. I cow called a bull right to me. Couldn't get a shot off. He's kind of behind some brush or whatever. Um, and the wind shifted right there and he boogied out. Uh, or, I want to piss the bull off. Those, those are my, my only two go-to things and I feel like I need more tools in my toolbox. And this is me kind of talking selfishly as uh, with my podcast, maybe I'm going to get something out of this. And so when you, when you're talking about making kind of like this estrus type noise and then, and then you follow it with a bugle, can you, can you walk me through that?
3: So I wish I had a, uh, a, a call over here close by because, it's really wavy. It goes high, low, high, low. So yeah. You know, okay, you're I, I have a call. Low.
0: I have a call. So let, let, let me let me throw one out there and see if if uh, we're on the same page with that. Uh, oh. Is it okay if I use a Maverick? Yeah,
3: it'll. I mean, I'll I'll, I'll assume that what it sh- that it was trying to sound <laughs> like a real elk. So yeah, we're we're good there. <laughs> I love it. All right,
0: all right. I'll try it on a on a Maverick. So um. I don't know. We'll try it. Is that kind of what you're talking about? Just a whining? Yeah,
3: yeah. yeah I'm gonna actually get up. I'm sitting here in the in the shop. I sh- I should be able to find a cow call somewhere here in the shop.
0: Yeah, you'd be a lot um, better at it than me. Do you, now. So let me ask you this: are you, are you doing that on an external or a read? You can uh-huh. do it
3: on both. I'm actually going to okay. use an external here because I've seen one, um, my personal one sitting here on the table next to me. Um, so I'm going to grab it, and, and you're going to hear this is just on an external. You can do it on a diaphragm. It's going to be really wavy, and hopefully I don't blow <laughs> out these speakers here. But so it's really – it's oh, just a wind. Oh, gotcha it's not a perfect cow call I mean I can you know I can sit here and make perfect mews all day long like wow that sounds perfect but th- there's no intention on an estrus wine in my opinion to be perfect really what you're you're, you're trying to you know emulate just a, a cow that's definitely ready to be bred or needs some attention and so they make those really whiny drawn-out long cow calls um, you know in Wyoming last year I, I did a lot of those through my tube with the diaphragm because Those cows were super needy and super, um, it it was, it had that resonance to it that I couldn't even match with just my diaphragm alone. So I was actually doing a lot of those cow lines um, through my bugle Tube to add that depth and resonance and uh, kind of that that, um, additional uh, echo to it.
0: Okay. Okay. So w- when, uh, just, to, and maybe you said this and I missed it there, but are, are you doing this as like a kind of a cold calling sequence? You don't know you you're suspicious there's elk in the area or is this something you've, you've already determined, you know, there's a bull in this area and you're going to throw yeah. that
3: call out. Yeah. So all of those situations we rec, we talked about earlier where we've located a bull somehow or some way, um, I'm going to get the wind right and get, if I can see the cows, the better, like the closer I can get the better. And out of the blue, like completely cold, if I did my job right and haven't bugled my way in or had to relocate this bowl or try to figure out where he's at, I want to do that estrus whine very first without that bowl ever knowing I'm anywhere in the world and tell that cow, um, you know, I make that easy estrus sound or that that estrus whine sound. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, And then instantly, and the reason I do this with a diaphragm, because I don't have to drop my external, I'll do that whine with a diaphragm and I'll instantly pick my tube up and give the biggest, nastiest. Um, throw the entire kitchen sink at him challenge beagle.
0: oh okay so so you'll throw a few of those out and then you're 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 just ripping off a huge bugle after that yep
3: back to back no i don't care what he does if he beagles the cow call i'm still going to challenge Beagle and walk on top of him if he doesn't beagle i'm still going to do it and then i'm going to kind of pay attention to the situation like am i close enough did he respond can i hear you know sticks cracking whatever it may be, I'm going to be a student for a little bit and and pay attention. And then, um, the other thing is I would always, now nobody can call you or me and say, Hey, Phelps, you screwed up a lot of my hunts this year because I listened to you and it all backfired. I have a very (laughs) aggressive, a very aggressive style where I don't want, I did this enough that I know if I don't get close enough to these elk, it's not going to work. Um, so we used to always kind of joke, you know, from, if you're not bumping, you're not racing, if you're not bumping elk, you're not hunting elk was kind of one of our original, um, you know, kind of our mottos As we went and tried to call elk and like some people even got frustrated. Like my buddies like Phelps, all we're doing is scaring elk all over the mountain. When are we ever going to try to call one in? And it was just the way that I learned we were getting very, very close before we ever started. Um, which you, tends to turn better results, but you may screw some up um, in the process. When you say very
0: close, how, how close are you talking?
3: I mean, I've, I've started calling setups within 70 or 80 yards of elk. I can see them. I can see them moving. I've been able to sneak in and get close. And one thing people need to remember, um, if you did your job and got the wind halfway right, you're going to start to smell these elk as you get close, right? So that's one indicator mm-hmm. you're going to be able to use, you have on your side. Um, if the elk have uh, you know fed into the wind like they should be and you're coming up you know from behind them, you should start to also see tracks and, and pick up scent where they've been. So there's going to be some indicators that you're going to be able to pick up as um, you know as as you uh, you know as you approach these elk.
0: Okay, okay, that's awesome. Okay, so I I just want to recap that you're gonna you're gonna locate a bull, you're gonna locate some elk, you are going to close the distance to get you know seventy eighty maybe a hundred yards away. Sometimes you can even see them. You're yep. gonna start hitting that that call making that kind of estrusy sound that w- what we've all kind of come to know is the estrus call and yep. and then you're going to follow it up with just a gnarly old bugle yep and and that, at that point you're going to kind of wait to see what the bull does in terms of response
3: yep and and back in the day there were a lot of and it seemed to even work better on roosevelt's and i don't know if that's due to the tight brushy train we talked about earlier And they can't get they can't get good sight lines on stuff, and they can't see where that bull and cow may be. But a lot of times, and and this is no joke, it's happened like we we've got video of it. I can literally put that beagle tube between my legs and knock up because that bull is going to be ten or fifteen yards in in no time um, if I've got close. And so that that it sounds like a completely boring way to hunt elk, but those two calls were the only calls I got to make um, besides maybe locating the bull for that whole entire, you know, in order to kill that bull.
0: Yeah. I mean, when you say that, like, like boredom for me, uh, is irrelevant as long as, as long as I get a bull coming in. I, I don't care how boring, like yeah. I, for, for me, I've, I've heard people say, you know, they're looking for that certain bull that, that they want to, they want to, you know, have a screaming match with kind of thing, kind of scenario. And that's always fun. Uh, I, yeah. I love that. Uh, but, but for me, I, my, my goal is to get elk in front of me that I can, that I can actually put a tag on and install an arrow in, you you know? And so, so that's, that's a great point, man. Okay. All right. Let's, let's shift gears here for just a sec. We, we, we've got that. That's a great, I actually got a lot out of that. So I appreciate that. But let's, let's talk about a hunter that's in some dark timber and, and it's, it's thick. It's maybe it's brushy. Uh, it's steep, steep country. Uh, there's tons of sign you're not hearing anything there's there's no bugles there's no you know cow calls going on Uh, you're not totally sure where elk are at all you know is that every once in a while you catch a whiff of them Uh, there's fresh sign there's rubs there's uh, droppings on the ground Um, do you have like a a, a advice as to what to do at that point because you're you maybe maybe you've we've we've blown a couple of locator bugles and haven't gotten any responses um, taking into account that you maybe didn't get blown out from the wind or bump them unknowingly, which happens quite a bit. Uh, what, what do you do at that point?
3: You know, if, if it's, if it's somewhere I've e-scouted, I try to like, think back to like, where are all these little pockets? Like I like to think of where are these elk bedding, if they were pressured, where are they going? And I'll, I'll go, Check that out. The other thing I do a lot of times, um, which is more maybe earlier before I find a spot like this, is just run the fringes, whether it's you know, running the ridge line and evaluating all the sign you see, like, is there a predominant way all these tracks are going? Um, and, and if so, can I get on that trail? Are they leaving the are they blazing a the big enough trail? I can stay with this main group of elk. And basically, you know, uh, there was an elk there at one time that made those tracks. Um you know, can I walk out at two or three or four or five or six miles and, and I'm eventually going to catch up to an elk, um, you know, or, uh, you know, in, in some of the more mountainous regions, those elk aren't going to go that far, but you might have to go straight up um, to a, a hanging basin or you might have to go down into a hole um, mm-hmm. where their water and food's at. So, you know, being be educated, be a smart elk hunter, use some of that, um, strat, you know, some of, some of that sign, um, you know, to, to kind of deploy your strategy. And figure out what you're going to do, whether it's track them down. Um, the other thing is uh, run the fringes. So I'm going to run like if that's say on a on a big hillside, whether it's you know dark timber like you said. Hey, if I drop down to the creek, is there more sign? If I drop, if I go up to the ridge, through maybe a couple passes on the ridge or the elk crossing through here? Um, the last uh, way that I would kind of proof that area is the night bugle. If I'm sure, like I'm smelling stinky elk, I'm seeing tracks, I'm seeing rubs is that maybe just go night bugle and say like, well, was that, because you know, elk, if it doesn't rain, that elk stench, you know, there's, there's elk living there stench and then there's live elk smell. Um, and you need to be, you know, whether you can differentiate that or not, but don't be confused that those elk spent, you know, the last week there and now they're completely gone. Cause you might get hung up on the sign, the tracks, the scat, um, make sure that that's fresh. And that's where night bugling, um, could potentially help you figure out if that was, you know, if they're still there or not.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha.
3: You know, especially in wolf country. Like if you, we hunt a spot in Idaho, we hunted there for quite a few years. If you're in a spot like that during, um, you know, the rut and, and those elk are there for a week or two, that's where they wanted to be. But a, a pack of wolves runs through, it can completely change that. And if you're not, um, you know, willing or able to adapt and figure out where the heck they went, you might waste your entire season hunting, you know, some sign that was, you know, yeah, yeah it was fresh two days ago, but they're no longer here.
0: Wolves, man. When is Phelps going to, come up with the signature Western huntsman uh, wolf howler call that is 90% guaranteed to call in a wolf so I can get him and not have to run a trap line.
3: <laughs> yeah, the, we're working on them. We've got some diaphragms that definitely work, but, uh, you know, trying to modify our beagle tube or come out with a new tube. Um, we've, we've got some, we have some guys out there testing them, but um, just not something we've, we've, uh, you know, fully went after. Uh, but. But we do have the ability. Uh, it's so to do hard. That. Like nobody's really done that
0: uh, consistently before. You know what I mean? And so I have quite the wolf season planned out for this year, and and I I really do because I have a thing for calling in animals. I love calling in coyotes. I, I love I, I love uh, yep calling an elk. Uh, I love using deer calls and seeing what works with deer and and, and things like that. And so my, my goal this year is I want to call in at least one wolf and kill it. I have, I have six yep. wolf tags, and so it's going to be a big, anywhere. I'm getting off topic. Um, no, no,
3: you're good, you're good.
0: So, okay, a- a- again, kind of, we're going into like this lightning round of questioning I like to do for the school of September. Can you yeah. talk about uh, moon phases and how that affects, in your mind, how, how does that affect elk hunting?
3: So I'm going to say how I've seen it affect. Um, I'm going to do, like I said, multiple times. I'm a nerd, and so I've always went back and looked at the numbers and dates that I've killed on and figured out where the moon phase was. We've even went – we've made it to a point – my buddy actually did this for me. Um, I had a trail camera set up from August 1st to September 15th, and he took every single picture on there on a spreadsheet and timed it to the moon phase. So I've got a lot of my own little, um, you know, reasons why – man that is I, that I think, is super nerdy that's super nerdy yeah,
1: yeah hey, you got a spreadsheet just, for
3: that yeah we just we took the moon phase for that 45 days and matched it to the date of every single picture and put it in a spreadsheet and figured out if there was any rhyme or reason that the moon phase those elk were coming up in that wow. wide open in the wallow versus not uh, my wife told yeah, me yeah, just
0: brought it. me a drink she's she's a sweetheart
3: nice Thanks, babe. nice
0: that's, that's awesome <laughs>
3: Um, so, moon phase, I, I think the elk are still going to rut at the times that they're going to rut, regardless of moon phase. Um, the one thing it, how it does affect hunters is they tend to do more of their rutting um, in the middle of the night due to heat and, and kind of cooling down and having the ability to see a little bit more. So, during a, a full moon or when the moon, you know, leading into a full moon or coming off of a full moon, I think you get less action during the day, which um, some hunters, you know, equate to the ruts not happening, the ruts late, the rut isn't here. Um, when really it's just happening at a different time in the same exact place it always has Um, so Mm -hmm. that that's as far as I'm going to take the okra affecting my hunt I've only got so many days in September and I want to be out there on all of them Um, so I'm just going to take what I can get there's only so many Septembers I don't ever let that affect my hunt you know I'm maybe up an hour earlier during a full moon because I'm out there listening just not making a peep just sitting there because you know a lot of times I'm up on a ridge I don't want to you know, I can't call a bull in and I don't want my wind to, I'm just listening for an hour before daylight. Like where are the bulls at? Um, you know, are, are they doing their running? Um, same thing, like, you know, I might walk back to camp. I may eat my mountain house up on the mountain before I hike back to camp just so I can listen on my way out, um, and do some of that stuff. So that's really, um, where, where the moon phase, in my opinion, comes into play. And then we, I've actually tracked all of my bigger bulls and all of my bull kills and, it was surprisingly, I've killed more of my bulls, um, with more than a half of moon than I have without. Um, yeah. yeah. it it hasn't affected like my kill ratio or my kill times. And then back to my buddy, I think we had 670 pictures of just bulls on that camera. Probably. I can't even remember. This was way back in 2009 that we did this. Um, probably 15 different bowls and there was absolutely zero correlation to the amount of moon and the amount of pictures we got at that wall of daylight or nighttime. Um, so, so it really had no effect. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah that that's so interesting. I'm, I'm glad I, I didn't know you geeked out like that, man, because I, I, oh, I, I kind of have that. I, I did that with fly fishing. I could not for the life of me, this was years ago, could not catch a freaking fish on my fly rod. And I got obsessed and started making spreadsheets and charts. And I was dealing with moon phases and barometric pressures and all this stuff. And uh, I finally nailed it down. To, I got it to a science. Like, I get sick of catching fish now. I, I, yeah. I can only, you know <laughs> what I mean? And and, and yeah. it's just one of those things. So it's kind of cool to hear, uh, you know, I'm not the only one that's ever geeked out on stuff like that. And and uh, yeah. it's, it's I think it makes a big difference in – yeah. To your to your point, uh the, the bullet killed last year, uh he came screaming midday around eleven o'clock uh after a full moon and, and I whacked yeah. him. And so I, I yeah.
3: I'm almost positive the guys that write the don't hunt on a full moon articles are trying to get everybody out of the woods that week so that they can go hunt.
0: <laughs> you know, it's not I'm a behind. bad strategy. Maybe we should yeah. maybe we should adjust our thinking, man. Oh yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah, if you can rewind this podcast about five minutes until I I, I want to restate that that you should not waste your, any of your vacation time um, anywhere yeah. leading into or coming off of a full moon.
0: I I like it. I like it. It's it's going to be the the Phelps Huntsman hunting strategy. We don't hunt on a full moon, guys. It's it's not worth it. <laughs> Stay home. Yeah, Stay it's a morning. waste
3: waste the time.
0: Waste time. I love it, man. Well, do you mind if we switch to some Facebook questions? No, that that works. Now, some of these are going to be a total surprise to me because I haven't checked it in a, in a minute here. So let's, um, I'm going to go ahead and pull this up. So, okay, we have got, I'm just going to read these. I have no idea what they say. My buddy, John Thomas, he asks, uh, what is the best weather trend? Oh <laughs> what is the best weather trend to have the most activity? I already have a solid answer on this from a friend in Montana that kills big bulls year after year but I would like to hear what another successful hunter has to say as well. Weather trend.
3: So I like, I like clear, I like cold, and those are my two favorite. And, and I've, as I mentioned earlier, I got to hunt around my family and they were convinced um, that, that the rain um, washes out cow scent, you know? So if, if those cows are out there doing their thing and, and, you know, putting scent down that, that basically kicks the rut up, the rain would kill it. So I've always preferred, and I've always had great success. And maybe it's because I'm from Western Washington. I absolutely hate the rain. But my favorite trend is clear and cool. Um, you know, I almost like those days where there's some condensation on the ground, but we know it's going to be a good day. So we've got some moisture recovery that night, um, a little bit of dew on the ground that morning, but it's going to be a nice day. Um, but I don't like those scorching temperatures. We have had success yeah, um, hunting bedding, hunting bedding areas and stuff or early morning hunts where it's just scorching. Um, but I would rather have it, you know, in that 60 or 70 and, and clear, uh, up in the mountains, um, uh, over, over any other weather.
0: Okay. No, that's a great answer. I actually, I totally agree with that. I, that's, and no uh,
3: wind. As an elk caller, I want zero wind.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Andrew Tucker. He's always good for a, a question on when I post these. Uh, it's my cousin, so I can give him a hard time. Okay. obviously a huge key is to play the wind, but how much does sweat amplify our smells? Example being, is it better to get to a spot earlier and take your time hike, hiking back to limit sweating or is it really inconsequential?
3: I don't want to ignore this question, but I don't pay any attention. Like, especially when you go to spike in, like some spots we hunt, we're not even hunting for eight miles in. Like I just get disgusting, nasty. And we just, if you, I I've always, and this is just me and, and Chris Rowe might have the exact measurement down to an inch or two, but I've always kind of figured elk can't smell you know, much more over three or 400 yards. You know, I kind of assume 300 is getting pretty risky, but I've did it before when I'm trying to circle an elk or get the wind right. Um, you know, depending on how, how flat it is, how steep it is, um, how fast the wind's blowing. But that's kind of my rule of thumb, but I don't pay any attention to that because once I'm trying to kill that bullet and I've got the wind right, Um, you know, it's not going to matter because you can't control things like your breath. Um, you can't control things like, you know, your underarm, you know, all of that stuff is uncontrollable. Even, you know, probably some of the scent that comes out of your boot and your socks, like you can never control that. So changing your shirt or your pants, um, or, you know, controlling your sweats really not going to have any effect because you have to breathe, um, you know, sooner or later. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I, I would throw in that if it's any consolation to anybody, I flat out wear my regular old spice deodorant and it, as long as you're playing the wind, it's, it's irrelevant. It's, it's just an irrelevant point. Yep. Yep. Uh, okay. There's like a, kind of a theme going here with some of these questions. Uh, what would be Jason Phelps kind of, uh, you know, overall advice for, um, first, the first week of season. Like we're, we're, we're pretty much there now as we're recording this, right. There's a lot of seasons in yep. Idaho today, uh, and, and and whatnot, but, uh, aggressive, slow play cow calls the first week of season, early season. Uh, what, what's your, what's your advice?
3: So I'm going to go out there. I mean, we start in in Colorado on September 2nd, uh, this year, I'm just going to match the intensity. So first I'm going to go out there and, and probably listen September 1st, you know, a couple hours into the night, like how active are these things now yet? You know, is it going, um, you know, if you can go out there and scout a day or two early, like, are the herd bulls pushing yet? Or are some of the submature bulls, um, you're running the herds, like what state are they in? Um, how much is it cranking and then really just match their intensity at least to start. Um, you know, you, in order to use some of my tactics and strategies, you're eventually going to have to get in and try to turn that temperature up if he's not quite ready. Um, but you're, you know, really match their intensity. I don't really change anything. You know, I don't try to sound like an older cow. Uh, a calf do any of that it's kind of the same prescriptive but i won't maybe call as much um you know or uh, he's not answering like well maybe i'll i'll try a different cow call or i'll try uh you know and then just try to it's almost like bass fishing let's just throw every lure we've got in our tackle box at adam and mm, then let's yeah see that's a great working. way
0: to put it yeah yeah that's uh, that's a great analogy actually yeah cool cool uh dude you're popular man i I I post these questions sometimes on, on the Facebook feed and I'll get like four or five. You got a bunch of questions I posted. I'm talking to Jason Phelps. What questions do you have? Okay. Oh boy. Adam Anderson, what was the hardest bull to call in and what made it so difficult? So this is going to be specific to one of your experiences.
3: Yep. I would, I know exactly what bull frustrated me and I about gave up 10 times and I about set up 15 times. And I, there were multiple times I wanted to go back to the truck because it was getting late and I was 2000 feet down below the road. So <laughs> this all goes back to 2014 Idaho bull, never, ever hunted out of state. Um, we were able to locate one off of a high mountain road, basically a goat trail and the bull was down below us. He answered. And my buddy didn't believe me and he wouldn't stop chewing on his purple bag of Skittles. So finally I got him stop <laughs> eating, Stop eating your food, Punching your Skittles bag. There's a bull down there. He just answered. And finally, I got him to answer again. So we had to get the truck parked out of the way because nobody could pass. And we went back down there. And uh, he answered me one more time from the road. But we dive in there pretty deep. And we're like, let's stop and just listen. Like, we don't know exactly where he's at. And we thought he was going up the creek. And it's steep. And I'm like, man, look at my watch. We've got an hour and a half left. And, um, we're at the point where it's, we can either dive off the other 1200 feet, or we can climb back up to 800 feet and cut our losses. Um, very first day in Idaho hunting out of state ever. Um, Hmm. so we're there and he won't answer. He won't answer. And I'm all right, we got to keep locating. And we look at each other and we're kind of stuck in a jungle a little bit. And finally I go to one of my open read cow calls and he answers. So we know he's still there, but he is working up the creek. So now we're not only having to dive 1200 feet, but we're going to have to play catch up as this bull's running up the creek away from us. So we bomb. It's one of those things where I'm sure we've all been in that situation, or if you're an aggressive enough elk hunter, it's basically me. We look at each other and we know exactly what the mode is. Like we're picking every elk trail. We're running you know, down the hill. We're running down the chutes. We're picking any little spot we can and you know, covering that distance as fast as we can um, to get close. When so we get to where we thought he would be, listen 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 let another cow call out and he's he's up ahead of us so now we're playing cat and mouse um i can remember so i'm getting anxious because we've got time working against us and uh, this bull's not really wanting to turn around and i know i don't have enough left in the gas tank after dropping and doing all this catch-up that i'm not going to be able to run up to creek and get ahead of him mm-hmm. um, at the pace he is moving so we move a couple times and we finally maybe on the seventh or eighth setup we feel like we got his interest like he at least bugled um, he was responding quick enough that he's at least responding to us. You know, it's no longer just like, Hey, I'm over here. Come get me. If you want to come see me, he was answering us directly, um, about four more setups. So we had to keep closing the distance over and over. Um, and the extremely brushy Idaho Creek bottom where it's got that. I don't even know what it is. The big broadleaf brush that's over my head.
1: And mm, the other hard part was just trying to about. find
3: us just trying to find a spot to set up where i'm actually going to be able to see before he's like running into the tip of my arrow um so a long you know long story short um you know first of all i doubted that we'd be able to catch up to him second of all i doubted that it, as i mentioned earlier it's easier to kill a bull that you don't have to change what he wants to do so we're often to turn this bull around because we can't catch up to him and then third of all dealing with the brush and, and the setup location so i can actually get a shot and so um no exaggeration i probably set up at least 10 times on this bull before we finally ended up shooting him at five yards. Um, uh, you know, that bull had no idea we were there. I was at full draws. I kind of seen his horns come through the brush over top of the brush. Uh, he picked the perfect lane and I had a kind of a, I'm not going to get in the frontals or not, but it was kind of a a side frontal. Um, the bull died within like five seconds and and we, we spent the rest of the night packing out 2000 feet, but that bull in particular, like tested, he, you know, he kind (laughs) of checked me mentally first of all, I checked me mentally, like, are you willing to drop 2000 feet for, you know, what I thought at that time was pretty low odds. Second of all, can you physically keep up with me as I walk up the, and then third, um, you know, I'm huge on setups and making sure that my setup's going to work and I've got the most likelihood to get a shot off. And he tested everything I could there because I, I remember getting frustrated. Like I can't set up here. Or I would call and then I would move five more feet. And I'm like, well, I can't shoot here and move 10 more feet. Um, you know, he kind of pushed my mental physical and then you know, ultimately my comfort me being comfortable. I'm trying to kill a bull from that location. Yeah. uh, All in one, all in one, you know, calling.
0: Dude, did you, did you get that hunt on film by chance? I did. So Charlie,
3: my camera guy, he's like an inch or two over five foot. Um, he actually, he actually took the camera up on the tripod and then just held it up over my shoulders because he was in a depression. And so, yeah, we were, um, I think on YouTube, it's like 2014 Phelps, Idaho hunt. And, uh, I'm able to shoot that bull about five steps maybe.
0: Okay. So I'm, I'm just writing this down. Ph- Phelps, Idaho hunt. I want to, I want to see that. That's, that's a cool story, man. I dig that one. You there? Yeah. I'm, I'm here. Did, did I lose you?
3: Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me?
0: Yeah, I can hear you.
3: Yep. If you can hear me, I'm good.
0: Okay. Uh, all right, cool. All right. Next question, man. I know I, we're running a little long here. You, are you good on time? Oh yeah, we're good. Okay. Um, my buddy, Zach LaPierre, dude, I'm sorry if I, if I, uh, slaughter your name there. Uh, Zach LaPierre, hunting elk in the pouring rain or windy days and its effect on elk behavior.
3: Um, it's frustrating. I don't like it one bit, but, um, as I mentioned earlier, there's only so many days in, in September and I'm not willing to sit and, and camp and miss one of those days. So, um, you know, trust your in gear. Um, you're going to end up being closer to these bowls. You're not going to be able to hear them as well. Um, the nice thing about what rain, um, the one thing that I does help out is I can quickly see what tracks are really fresh, right? Cause they're either going to be, you know, picking up dry dirt below it, or they're going to be stomping into the mud that we know they weren't making, you know, hopefully the couple days before. Yeah. Um, now if it's a long stretch of rain, you're going to have to look at more, you know, beat down trails and stuff. But you know, if it's, if it's new recent rain, there is some good that can come from that. Um, you know, hunting in the rain just sucks. It typically fogs in the mountains. It's, it's visibility is low. Um, they're less talkative. Um, but you know, one thing you can do is still hunt a little bit more, especially if in an area, you know, where those elk like to be. Um, there's still a lot of options out there. It's just, it's not near as fun. And I don't have like the Holy grail answer on what you should do when it rains. Um, it's just a whole lot harder.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I would agree. I don't, you know, I, I actually when when I had Dirk on, uh he had said that that foul weather shuffles the deck. Like if if the elk were quiet before the storm, they're gonna be bugling after. Or it could be yep. vice versa, you know, and I, I think that, that that's pretty consistent to as to what I've seen in the past too. So um yeah. no, I, I think I think that's really the only way to answer it is a um it, it does it does suck but b there's only so many days in september you know yep.
3: and, and yeah and then coming off of a rain i love to hunt especially if you you know maybe have yeah some me too or, or or maybe a day or two of heavy rain and i know it's going to clear up like i want to be out in the woods for sure those you know three or four days because you know it could be magic there
0: yeah 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 exactly i i, I totally agree cool okay uh taylor steelman Steelman um, does Phelps game calls have a video on tips or techniques on the easy estrus call
3: That's a great question I know we did like way back like 2007 or eight but I think I was more so just showing what it sounded like and what we can do with it I don't think they might just give me a good idea for Dirk's next uh, project video is how to run the easy estrus and, and place your lips. I don't think we have a how-to. Um, I think Black Ovis maybe had filmed something on how to run it, but um, mm-hmm. you know, internally me or Dirk, I don't believe have put together a video yet.
0: Okay, well, the the one thing I would say to that is is obviously if you back back the show up about forty five minutes or so, uh, you were calling, kind of doing that estrus call, uh, yep. and and but yeah, that's that that'd be a good video to throw out there for sure. Yeah. Um, yep. All right, Ryan Johnson, uh, my pal. Is, are you the undertaker or Ray Mysterio this year?
3: <laughs> I, I, I made, I made zero bets this year. So I did not have to dress up in September. So you're not, you're not, hey, you know
0: what? I want to, I want to talk about that for a minute. Jason. Now I, I, cause I, I was talking, uh, well, it, it it was to dirt. I I was saying something along the lines like, like, what would somebody's reaction be if, let's say, they're standing on a ridge, and and they see somebody across on the other side dressed as like Hulk Hogan.
3: Oh, I know exactly what they would say because I ran. I didn't realize somebody had watched my whole the whole (laughs) night. I killed that bull. I had people (laughs) watching me through a spotting scope. Um, And you were dressed as Hulk Hogan. Yeah, was it Hulk Hogan? Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. The tightest red and yellow tie eyed pants that I would ever <laughs> be able to fit in. And uh, it, it was a It was a train wreck of a, of an image. If, um, but anyways, I killed that bull and we, we ended up breaking it down and hanging it in, in the tree. And there were some hunters from Wisconsin that were camped relatively close to where we needed to, to park to have the, the shortest pack out. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, just like all hunters, you kind of shoot the, shoot the crap with them a little bit before you go and start doing work. And they're like, Hey, by the way, you know we, we told them what we killed over there. Like, hey, by the way, did you guys see these idiots up on the mountain yesterday while you guys killed that bull? And I'm like, what are you talking about? And they started showing me. They took a bunch of phone scope pictures of me. It was like there's this idiot up there dressed in this tie dyed pants, red shirt, and a yellow bandana. And I'm like, yeah, you know, you kind of you kind of tuck your head and raise your hand like that was me. Um, I'm dying, so, uh, man. Yeah, it was. That was my whole goal. My my goal <laughs> going into that day was to climb up on a mountain that nobody else was stupid <laughs> enough to climb, hang out there until dark, and then leave. Well, I we ended gotcha. up calling that. And, <laughs> so I had pictures of me up on the mountain dressed as Hulk Did you get that? <laughs> Did you get that guy to send you some of those pictures? So he actually teased it a little bit on Instagram before we ever released a video, and now I can't remember his dang handle. So if you listen to the Western Huntsman podcast, uh, let me know your handle so I can go. Yeah. down some of those pictures
0: yeah yeah I love it I love it man that that is you know and and you know just speaking from a guy that watches this stuff you, you know I I'm such a nerd man I I love watching elk hunting content I I watch all of it and and I you know it's just one of those it's just my it's 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 who I am I, I get I get super involved in it but one of the yep. things about the whole team of uh, the the whole brand of, of Phelps Game Calls, right, is is you guys you guys just have a good time. You're fun yep. to watch. You're entertaining. You don't take this shit too serious. you, you just enjoy the hell out of yourselves while you're out there. Uh, yep. You kill bulls dressed as Hulk Hogan. Um, it, it's just a it's just a fun thing to watch. It's a, it's a great platform and it's a great brand. Uh, thanks, I, thanks. We appreciate.
3: It's just awesome, I mean, dude. Yeah, no, it it is. And, and that's one of the nice things about, you know, still being, you know, a lot of these companies are owned by bigger companies, you know, and image is important. And the one nice thing is that we've been able to maintain, hey, this thing is working. We have a lot of fun. We don't necessarily have to be censored by somebody telling us what we can and can't say. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it's yep. been awesome yep. because we have that freedom. Like, hey, we think this is what the people want. Well, let's do it. You know, yeah. I, I think a lot of people, when Dirk came to me and said, we're going to pin the pink against the Maverick, I'm like, that's the stupidest thing we've ever, you know, I've ever heard. Let's <laughs> make, you know, but then like, heck with it. I'm, you know, nobody else gets to make the decision besides me and you. Let's roll. It. And, uh, you know, it, it worked. So It was um,
0: great, man. I was anyway. I was all into yeah. that. I was all into it. I'm like, okay, okay. I, I got to try both of them, you know, and and uh, which is funny because, yeah. and you could see it in the questions when I, when I posted this tonight, that, you know, I had Jason Phelps coming on. Uh, the the question is my, my buddy Dave West here. Uh, how long would you give the Maverick before switching over to the pink, asking for a friend?
3: <laughs> you know what I mean? And so, you yeah, guys, I mean, if so If something doesn't answer that very first Maverick vehicle, you should probably throw it down at that point and switch to the pink for the rest of the season.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh,
0: I love it. I love it. Okay, last Facebook question. This is from Mike Hers. And uh, Mike, Mike is uh, a, a guy, I, I actually know Mike pretty, you know, fairly decently. We've never met in person, but we like, we talk all the time on, on social media here and yep. he is just a, he's an elk slayer, man. And, yep. and so uh, here's this question. He says, here's one that Jason explained to me, but will help many guys have him go over how to set up with respect to how the wind hits your face and setting up so that you are in the position to swing on the bowl as he comes into a calling setup has been a game changer for me and my brothers. Can you talk about that?
3: Yeah. So, I mean, we, we always talk about get the wind right, which basically means get it perfect on your nose, which is a, it is a great. I mean, it's better than not, but what happens, and we talked, I hinted on it just um, for a second earlier on the frontal shots. Um, I've still yet to have somebody call me in a bull, whether it's like a backed up caller or not. I've called in every single elk I've killed myself, um, which I'm not going to get into the numbers, but a lot of these bulls end up presenting frontal shots, which I'm comfortable with, especially when they're at close range. I'm not going to, but now what happens is when you go to set up, as a right-handed shooter, I can swing way to my left. I can swing a lot counterclockwise. I can swing very, very little clockwise and still shoot my, bull in a com- uh, my bow in a comfortable position. Mm-hmm. So when I set up, I'm always trying to aim my left shoulder at where I think that bull's going to approach. And that gives me the ability to shoot there about 20, you know, 20 degrees to my right and all the way to the left. But what we're really going to do with the wind is we want to use that thing as a steering wheel. So let's say instead of the wind hitting us directly on the nose, it hits our right cheek at say a 30 or 45 degree angle. That's still plenty of confidence in the wind that as long as it doesn't switch, you're going to be fine. But what that does is that bull that you're going to try to call in the very, very close range, almost every bull you try to call in tries to swing on the elk that he can't see. You know, he's either expecting a cow or a bull to be there because you're trying to call them in. So they, they, if you're doing your job right, they think that there's an elk somewhere hidden in the brush as they approach, well, they also want to smell that elk versus just see and hear it. So whether it's 100 yards out or 70 yards out or 50 yards out, that bull is going to start to circle the location of where he thinks the caller is at. Um, And and we can talk about two caller setups as well. Um, You know, maybe having the caller back to the right of the shooter if the wind's hitting your right cheek. That way, if he is the elk that that elk's coming to see, he's going to circle and half moon that elk right into the caller setup. Um, the same thing with single color setups. I can expect that bowl to at least circle my location to my left. Um, if the wind's hitting my re- my right cheek, if the wind's hitting my left cheek, I would expect that bowl to circle and hit to the you know head to the right to try to get the wind. So you're always yeah. thinking if I can set the wind up, you know, if, if the terrain allows it. The terrain is very very important in your setup. Um, I like to call a bowl to a grade break so that that bull can't see, the, you know, or when he thinks he should be able to see that cower bowl, I'm within range to shoot him. Or on a vegetation break, if that bull comes out of a big brush patch um, to maybe a, an open timber patch, that bull's most likely going to hang up at that spot when he where he should be able to see that cow or bull calling to him. So by t- by using your terrain, your um, you know your your vegetation, and then you know thinking about using the wind more as a steering wheel than just getting it perfect, um, all of those things kind of add up to, in my opinion, that perfect setup. Um, Because I'm convinced, I get to hear enough elk hunting stories every year that 95% of the guys, even if you're not killing elk or have never killed an elk, they have the tools that it takes to call in elk, but they typically call them into hang up zones or they call them into big brush piles or they call them into spots where you couldn't move and all of a sudden you scared the elk away. So I think by putting a little bit more thought into these setups and some of this stuff like using the wind as a steering wheel. Um, using the terrain, um, you know, grade breaks and vegetation breaks to your advantage, you're really just upping your chance of killing that bull.
0: Man, I have uh, I've never heard that kind of explanation as to as to where your your wind is hitting your face kind of thing. Um, that's really cool, man. I I, that, yeah. I think Mike's right. That's that's like a game changer kind of piece of advice because uh, I, I think that a lot of people are like me where where, you know, sometimes we, we get a bull fired up and you know he's coming in and you're paying attention to the wind and, and all of a sudden he's he's 60 yards and then he's 50 yards and he's cl- coming in closer and, and, and you start losing your focus in terms of where the wind is. And and that that's where it, it really messes a lot of guys up, including me, where, um, okay, he turned a little bit. And I, and I didn't pay attention to it. And so now, now he's winded me at, at 30 yards, but he's behind some brush. So I can't get a shot off kind of thing. Yeah. And so, so that's a, that's a great point. I'm really glad. Yep. You brought
3: that up. Yeah. If you can get that elk to arch into the shooter, whether it's a two man setup or a single man, like a lot of times if I make my very first cow call and, and bugle and I can get away with moving, like I'll make it and then move 20 yards, um, you know, at a 45 degree angle up into my left because that thing may think I was just there and I may get him to circle into my new location. But, you know, some mm. setups, I don't have the the freedom to move like that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for
3: sure. So. Sometimes.
0: Yeah. Well, that, that's fantastic, man. We're, we're just kind of winding this down. Um, I, I have the, the one question I've kind of been asking everybody, I'm calling everybody that comes on the school of September, the professors, right? You guys are, I, okay. at some point, at some point, I, my, my T-shirt company is dragging ass, but I'm going to have like T-shirts made that I'm going to send you guys uh, that say professor of the school of September or something like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> something real yeah. cheesy, but uh, I'll get them made. I Perfect. promise. I just, I'm waiting for my T-shirt company there. Uh, I think COVID has got them way behind. So anyway. Yeah. But one of the questions I've been asking is, uh, you know, what in your mind? You've you've got all this experience. You've got some some fantastic hunting stats. Obviously, you you own an elk calling, uh, a a call company, if you will, I guess, or so to speak. But um, you've got a lot of credibility on this. What what would what comes to your mind when I say something along the lines of like, what's the one thing that a lot of elk hunters screw up that cost them a notch tag.
3: Calling their way in to that elk's location. Um, I've wrote a few articles on this, you know, the not so much what you do right. Cause as I just said, I think a lot of elk hunters have the tools to, to accomplish it. Um, but there, I would say more so of what people do wrong. And the number one thing um, aside from not giving it enough time, um, because I do want to say that, even as, you know, you mentioned stats or my success or, you know, what I expect out of myself on a lot of these hunts, I'm out there a lot. And it might be day nine or 10 on a hunt before I've got my first opportunity to shoot it. So time is always number one, but you know, aside from that, you know, I can't, um, I can't, uh, you know, dictate anybody's schedules as far as like technique out there. Um, a lot of people will locate a bull and then they're unsure of that bull's location and they'll call it at 400 yards or they'll call it 300 yards. And all they're really doing is giving that bull a chance to round up his cows and leave and avoid any confrontation. And so I think more than anything, um, people need to just kind of, you know, locate a bull with some confidence, figure out where they're at, and then be quiet until you're right on top of them.
0: On on that note, uh, like to your point, let's say you throw out a locator bugle, you get a response. Are are you saying at that point just shut up and close the door close the distance kind of thing or, or is yep. that
3: it, it okay yeah, i mean ideally that bull will keep bugling um because he thinks you're in the area he wants to get you to respond again so he can be confident that you're not coming down on him or that you left or whatever but sometimes that curiosity of hey where the heck did that thing go um it can kind of add to turning up the temperature i think elk want you know they're they're social animals they they travel in herds they want to know what all the other all the other elk are doing and if you bugle once and then be quiet, he's now a little bit nervous. You know, he's not necessarily going to take his cows and run, but it kind of helps just make them a little uneasy, which may help call him in. So, yeah, at that point, once you locate him and have a location, hopefully they continue to bugle, but don't make another peep until you feel you're in that position. You're set up and ready to kill that bull.
0: Yeah, I've been guilty of that, man. I, I, I think you you nailed it right on the on the nub there because, uh, like, I, I've thrown out a locator, I'll get a response, and I will, I will turn around and I will crack off the most aggressive bugle. Uh, you'd think it was the the beach landing of Normandy coming out of that bugle, <laughs> yeah. tube, right? And <laughs> yeah. and and all of a sudden that bull's gone. There, he's just gone. And so yeah. that that's a great point. Um, yeah, that's just super good information. So um, as 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 we kind of wrap this up, man, c- tell us a little bit like your take on the the elk collective and how that helps hunters. Uh, I don't know if you know this. I've got a uh, I've got a youth contest going on right now where where youth hunters are able to submit. In fact, the day that I release this episode is the due date. Um, I there you know there it might get extended if I don't get enough entries, but we're already starting to pile them up. So good good yeah. And so so this contest is is like where where youth hunters write writing to me and tell me what kind of hunter they want to be. And and what kind of example they want to set for youth hunters that are that are coming up behind them? So so the the minimum age is ten, and and so I'm talking like what about the 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 hunter that is not even a hunter yet that's two? What kind of example do you want to set for that guy or that gal? And 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 so the the contest is one of the winners is going to receive a a scholarship to the Elk Collective, and I also have some felt stuff sitting around here in the broken town studio that I'm going to give away too. Nice. Nice. And, and so, uh, well, and which by the way, I need you to make sure you're on top of your, your uh, inventory, man, because I need to order another tube for this,
3: but uh, <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. We, we've got them. We've got them.
0: Okay, cool. The benefits to somebody that maybe they live on the east coast or something and they're coming out west to to hunt elk for the first time or they're a youth hunter and they don't know much about elk or or they're like me who was raised mule deer hunting and when we went elk hunting when i was a kid we acted like we were mule deer hunting and it never hardly ever worked uh and so this now nowadays we have these platforms and these these resources like the elk collective and and, and these other ones that are out there that I'm a huge fan of, you know, can you, can you kind of give us a, a, what, what is Jason Phelps uh, interpretation uh, as, as to what the elk collective is for hunters out there?
3: Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, this was all kind of spearheaded by, by the group of us, myself, Dirk, um, Dan and John, and really uh, as we get to travel around, um, you know, the, the need for seminars and just being able to be out there and talking the the hunters that aren't successful and and the thirst that there's out there for all of this knowledge. Um, You know, and I I don't have all the answers. My way as we already mentioned earlier is different from Paul Medell's is different from Chris Rose is even maybe a little bit different from Dirk, even though we hunt very, very similar, but we're like, Hey, let's knock down all of these walls that basically say my way is not your way. And, you know, Ryan Lampers is over here raking in giant bulls and me and Dirk are over here calling in bulls with fairly good success. And, and Paul's over here, killing bulls um, by, you know, interpreting their language and Chris Rowe is following their biology and only calling based on biology, you know, biology reasons. Hey, but we're all killing elk. So let's give the listener a chance. Let's give them all this information. Let them pick, choose, combine, morph, all of this information from all of these industry. I don't even want to say industry, just people that we know experts that are successful every single year, year in and year out. Like if you were, if you were betting on them in Vegas, you'd always bet for them to kill an elk. Yeah, and let's yeah. Not, I call it the
0: community yeah. versus industry. Yeah. It's like the elk, the, the yeah. experts in the community kind yeah. of thing,
3: and and just dang dang good guys that are willing to share some of their you know knowledge and experience that they could keep up you know locked up tight. So all of these people obviously want to help people be successful. So it was kind of cool for us to go out and and uh, reach out to some of these people. The four of us do have some content on there. It is valuable, but really like let's not make this about ourselves. Let's be a spot and facilitate. You know information from all of these guys, whether it's Joel Turner, um, whether it's you know all of these different guys that we've went and grabbed, and, and you know Ben Gorman out of Wyoming he runs Shednecks, you know Ryan Lampers up there in Three Forks, Montana that you know kills giants every year. Like, what are these guys doing? Let's dive deep into their bag of tricks. Um, you know Aaron Snyder at Gaffaro. Like, what's in his pack? Like, there's nobody that probably tests more gear than him. Let's right. All of these guys <laughs> to one location and then just like you know provide a resource and then let's, let's remember that it's, you know, 2020, let's make everything in a video platform or an audio platform because time is so valuable to these people. Let's not make them have to sit down and read an article or read for hours. Like they can put their AirPod you know, their earbuds in and hit the play button and uh, absorb some of this stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's a great explanation of it. And, and and what it is, is everybody, each one of you guys, you know, we we all know you're an elk slayer, right? And we know Dirks an elk slayer. We know John Gabriel. I had him on the show. He's like one of those guys that is like behind, or or like not behind the scenes, but more undercover. Like you don't know, but this dude, he gets it done all the time. And and Ryan Lampers and all, and Chris Rowe, and I love going through this content. And what makes it super cool for me is I drive a lot for work. Uh, I'm in fact I'm in your neck of the woods quite a bit. Uh, over there at yep. pell L. and, and, and so I'm, I'm all over the place and I, I spend, sometimes I get up in the morning, I leave at five o'clock in the morning and I drive four hours for a 15 minute meeting and then I drive four hours back. What do you think I'm doing? Jeez. I'm listening to things yep. like the L Collective. I could, I could open that up and I can, I can, even if I'm well. I'm not watching the video because I'm driving, right? And so, but it's on my dashboard and, and it's perfect because it just Bluetooth to my truck. I could get all this elk knowledge right there. And I learned so much. And and I consider myself an, a very experienced hunter. I've been I've been hunting for over thirty man, I hate to age myself. Over thirty years. Let's <laughs> I dude, I'm turning 40 this year. So I, I, it's, it's kind of like I'm, I'm in this midlife crisis or something. But uh, anyways, you know, I could, I could turn this, I could turn this stuff on and I can soak up so much information that especially for you younger guys, I don't care if you're in your teens uh, or gals, you turn this stuff on. It, it, it's like, it's more, I've learned more out of all this stuff and self-educating than I ever did in college. And, uh, it's just a, it's a great platform, man. I, I, and you guys guys just know what you're doing with it.
3: Yeah. You know, and and I've been so dang busy with, you know, I'm, I'm helping, I'm helping with ideas and brainstorming, but you know, those guys get all the credit up until now because they've been carrying the heavy lifting. Um, I've helped direct it and make some good decisions, but, uh, I hope, um, you know, this, this year, this fall, September, I'm able to film a bunch of content. Um, and, and get some added up there and, and like I say just just never ending you know learning opportunities let's keep adding on to this big collection and vault of information so that um, you know people can learn from from our successes and our failures yeah exactly
0: exactly I mean what a world we live in man uh, you can get all these experts together on one platform yeah. and and it's it's all right there it's all right there and so it's like what is it 119 dollars yeah. or something like that to join the elk collective? And he, he, we're yep. probably talking over a yep. hundred years worth of elk hunting experience all wrapped into this one platform. Um, guys, if, if you're listening to this and you're not part of the elk collective, uh, you need to be, you need to be for sure. So,
3: no, I was going to say it's, it's just a little bit more than a tank of gas that you're, you know, putting in your truck on, you know, one small little portion uh, of your elk hunt to hopefully, you know, turn the odds in your favor.
0: I've always said to, uh, Anybody that's listened to my show, they know that I am far from what they call a gear junkie, right? I, I don't go spend thousands of dollars on a bow every year. I don't go spend a lot of money, but what, what I don't mind spending money on is, is stuff like the elk collective and Roe hunting resources and elk calling academy and elk bros and all these other, these platforms that are out there because it, it really, you know, everybody talks about and this is getting a little off topic, but but people talk about this a lot. Where oh well, there's a new podcast coming out, uh, Jim. What do you, what do you think? And l- like I'm supposed to be as if as if I'm I'm like uh, going to be uh, upset that there's some uh, as, as if it's competition. It's not competition. Yep. It's not. Yeah, guys, there there is. That there's plenty of room for everybody in, and, and this, this elk collective is, is like a perfect representation of that and everybody's perspectives. And so anyway, uh, yeah. getting on a soapbox there, but
3: <laughs> no, no, it's,
0: this is, this is a great opportunity for folks. So yeah. I appreciate you guys doing that. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Jason, this has been, uh, this has been one of my, my favorite conversations, man. I, uh,
3: perfect. Yeah, it's, it's been a good one.
0: Yeah, I, I I think this is going to go a long way. People are going to get a lot out of it, and I I appreciate you joining me for the school of September on on uh, on the podcast, man. And and uh, you guys have a heck of a season lined up, so I'm excited to watch how that unfolds.
3: Yeah, yeah. Thanks. I'm ex- excited to see how you do, and uh, yeah, it, it should be a good one. I'm I'm ready after this year. Um, all that 2020s offered us in all of its glory. I'm just ready for September.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, I think uh, I think we're all chomping at the bit, so to speak, uh, to get this yeah, season yeah. kicked off. So, thanks a bunch for joining me, Jason. I I really appreciate it. Uh, this this has been fantastic.
3: Yeah, thanks for having me, Jim.
0: And uh, we'll uh, like I said, I'll, I'll I'll be watching to see how things unfold, and we'll just we'll, let's keep in touch, and I'll talk to you soon, man.
3: I appreciate for it. Sure, for sure. Take care. Thank good you. luck to everybody out there this fall. And uh, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, thanks a bunch, and uh, we'll talk to you later. Yeah, talk to you later. You made it all the way to the end.